Hello, I'm Max Hempton. I'm Patrick Lubbock. And this is the uh, live finale of Rewatch Podcast. Thanks for coming, guys. Yay! Um, this is uh, episode 21 of Rewatch Podcast, and this week we are watching episode... Watched. Watched. We just watched it. I don't know what the number is. It doesn't matter. It's the end. It's the last part. It's Exodus Part 3. Uh, this episode is brought to you by our generous sponsors at Cards Against <laughs> Humanity. <laughs> Is that real? Yeah. That's it? Okay. I, I, I definitely didn't want to tell you ahead of time. Do I have to read this? Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> this, <laughs> I don't know how this happened. This episode is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so just enjoy the show. And this episode is also brought to you by our friends at Basecamp. When you use Basecamp to run projects, people know what to do. People know where things are. And you stay on top of everything all of the time. Like knowing when your own company's ads run on your podcast. That's Claire's job. <laughs> I don't do that. Uh, this week, we have uh, a lot of special guests joining us on the finale. Uh, our first guest is probably the biggest get that I think we've gotten in the history of this podcast. True. And it is uh, something that we're just a huge fan of their work. And it is the Zojirishi Mug Corporation, the Mug, Thermos, uh, Rice Maker, and Bread Maker Corporation. Uh, so Synergy, we had, as we like to call it in the podcast business. Yeah, they make all kinds of great uh, kitchen appliances. things. Well, this podcast is... We are normally holding Zojirishi-related objects. 20% about lost anyway, yeah. <laughs> Um, we have a good email about so, that. So uh, we do uh, have a great uh, uh, interview with them. We got to talk to them about the history of the company. I uh, just thought that would be a fun note to go out on. And on a, uh, a slightly less exciting note, um, we also did talk to uh, one of the main writers of season one of Lost, Javier Griot Markswatch, who wrote the article, The uh, Lost Will and Testament of Javier Griot, uh, Griot Markswatch. Uh, I think who, my favorite part is every time we bring up his name – you hesitate on going past the first part of his name. Well, it's a long name. Like we I'm did it s- earlier today. We were setting up the computer, like and like, all right, and then we'll do the interview with Javier. And like, you played it off like, no, I just wanted to say the first part oh, of his name. Cool. Like, yeah. I, 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 we're old friends at this you, point. You just don't know how to pronounce the rest of his name. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, we also have two guests who have joined us for us. Uh, so we just finished the podcast. We have two guests who joined us to watch it. Uh, and it's Trin from Cards Against Humanity and our friend Chris from the Nerdalogs. Is Chris here? I can't see. There he is. And uh, so Trin and Chris have literally never seen an episode of Lost before. And that this is where they started was the uh, final part of uh, Exodus. So we're going to have them uh, come up in uh, just a little bit. And they're going to sort of reconstruct the whole first season from just those 40 minutes um, that, they, uh, that they saw. Uh, oh, and we're going to play a little bit of Lost via Domus. Yeah, a very bad video game that was pulled down from Steam. I am, uh, I'm going to open my... As we discovered today, trying to, trying to look for it. What do you have there? Oh, God. Okay. What is that? It's Topo Chico. It's, uh, I believe, a, a okay, I'm gonna move your iPad Mexican. Out of the way. Is it H-O in Mexico? Yes, it's a Mexican fizzy water. Uh-huh. Uh, it's very It's very fizzy, the apparently. The fizziness is very potent. Got to let that out. It's the most refreshing. They're going to use that to blow up the hatch. <laughs> Say you would have found still, a way if you shake still, it. If you shake it enough times, it'll it's like dynamite. You take my word. This will still be fizzing when we're done recording. I guarantee it. You're putting that in your stomach. Yeah. Oh yeah. To <laughs> <laughs> keep fizzing when it goes down. You yeah. feel it in your throat. Yeah. All right. That's good. Uh, Patrick, when we when they first found when they're on the raft just now. Yep. Uh, and they found the they got the signal, and they were debating whether to send up the flare. Mm-hmm. What did I send you? You sent me your heartbeat. Yeah, 
My heart was my heart rate was watch going. Watch to watch. You, this is uh, Max has this new thing where he trolls you by like sending you the most intimate thing possible. No, I wasn't, tro- but I wasn't trolling. I was oh, you really were just you were very you were just you wanted to show that you're, you had an elevated heart rate. And yeah, wanted to you share can ver- it with you me. can verify it. I could. It got me going. Well, doesn't make it anything less creepy, but well, I, you know what would they find out there? Ooh, nothing good. Nothing good, Mister Friendly. Hasn't been revealed, but yeah, sure. No, that's what the fans were calling him. That's true. That's actually that's actually a good point. That's not a spoiler because yeah. people were calling him Mr. Friendly and then they just named him Mr. Friendly. And yeah. Like, oh, that's a good enough name. Yep. All right. Let's do – let's read our fan mail uh, for people who do not listen to this podcast because they don't want – no, now who's spilled? Nothing. It's not okay. open. All right. Come on. Uh, for people who do not listen to this podcast, we do a little bit of follow-up every week where we read uh, messages from our adoring fans. We get a lot really of – Really hyping it up. Fan mail. Yes. You want to do the first one? We actually have a uh, really uh, good amount this week. Uh, Jacob. Oh, my is, God. Which what is funny honor. if you've watched Lost. What I want to explain honor. that one. Wow. Um, I'm a big fan of Lost as well as the Rewatch podcast. That's good. Uh, I watched the entire series within about four weeks in March of 2014. It's up there with one of my favorite shows of all time. Uh, I got some of my family and friends do it as well. I started listening to the podcast to satisfy the craving for more Lost information. However, it's become even more relevant in the past few months for me as I'm studying abroad in Australia. Two of the kids on my program are huge Lost fans. We got about six people into the show and watch it most nights for a few weeks. Some people went ahead on their own and watched the entire thing without everyone else, so everyone is now on different seasons. It's really interesting to watch how their opinions of characters and theories changed. A very popular theory among the group was that they were being observed as a psychological experiment. It's also fun to see how people go from hating Jin to loving him over the first season. Anyway, just wanted to say hi, and I'm a big fan. I hope you guys continue with the podcast for another series as well. For great things about Firefly, but haven't seen it, so that seems really interesting. Thanks for all your work on the podcast. I really enjoy it. I forgot about the psychological experiment theory. That was super popular um, in, like, as the series went on as like, a, a good explanation for, for the show. Starboard. <laughs> you really laughed. You really chuckled hard at that. Starboard. <laughs> can't tell if it's racist if you're just imitating him it's not he says it like 20 he says it like 20 times <laughs> stop on it's one of the like five english do you think words he practiced that line too like practicing it, no, the it's fact just that one he of, was going he to knows like line? five words and that's one of them and that's he's it's, it's a tough word maybe he's saying stop 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 <laughs> all right uh one the next the next one is pretty great. All right, I'll do. I haven't looked at any of these. I'll do. Uh, I'll do this one from Megan. Uh, Max Patrick, I just finished listening to episode twenty three, Exodus Part Two, and I had to take a minute to send you a note. Well, I could have put that together. Uh, I am so so excited that you are continuing the show beyond season one of Lost. Brief history of my relationship to your show. I started listening from the moment episode one aired. Uh, I have grown from being... No, 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 read that. Read I don't it? Know, okay, I don't know fine, what this fine. Means. All right, all right. I it. found the link through a comment left on an article about the 10th anniversary of Lost. Where? Some, there was an article about the 10th anniversary so, of Lost. And, and someone mentioned our podcast. And someone was like, yeah, there's this great, <laughs> unbelievable podcast that's really entertaining that you should listen to, and that's now, how that's she a, found that's it. That's a great setup for her next line in the email. Okay, well, I mean, obviously, she came into it with a lot of acclaim. Uh... I have grown from being mildly annoyed about some aspects of your show, particularly the gaming talk. I'm a 37-year-old woman with zero interest in video games. And the fact that it is specifically a rewatch show, yet you wanted to protect anyone from being spoiled. 
Uh, that is a great point. Uh, to overtime becoming an enthusiastic fangirl of the show. I've talked about it several times on my own podcast, and I generally listen to the show the minute it's up on iTunes. Just know that as your discussion of season one is near the end, I've been suffering the same letdown of uh, now what do I listen to feelings I battled when I finally finished binge-watching watching Lost a few years ago. I'm thrilled that you guys are moving forward with the podcast. I've grown to actually enjoy the gaming talk, and I'm confident that whatever show you land on next will be fantastic. Uh, thank you, Megan. That's very nice. Really enjoyed the... I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's fair criticism. <laughs> yeah, Both of those are really on point. Yep. Yeah. Can't really argue. Well, you want to listen to twenty minutes of us speculating about the app, the the next Apple event that we yeah, but, and the episode three, the, the episode three weeks late, so it's already out, and we're like, oh, I wonder what they're going to announce. Well, I wish you probably yeah. delete that. Uh, next one is from uh, Matthew. Uh, so this is a two parter, um, and you can read the second part. So hello, rewatch podcast. I was listening to your episodes. Uh, oh no, actually, it's the next one. Never mind. Uh, I was listening to your episode, Lost Rewatch 23, Exos Part 2, and you were wondering why Jin didn't understand the word paper towel. I know a little bit of Korean and taught English there for a year, uh, so please allow me to explain with my limited knowledge what was going on there. The man goes up to the paper towel dispenser, and when he says the phrase to Jin, it sounds like he's telling him, here is what a paper towel is. He says, paper towel, then says, yo, which means here in Korean, and then he says, eat, eat, ednan, 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 sure, ednan. Uh, it's difficult to write that part in English. Well, it's difficult to say in English. Uh, which is a, a way to end sentences in improper Korean. Here, this is a paper towel. I hope this sheds some light on what happened in that scene. I got the feeling it was to show Jin had the upper hand in the situation. The podcast is great, and I hope the live broadcast goes great. It's going great, so thanks. Yeah, it's, it's okay. <laughs> uh, no, that makes a lot of sense. So he was saying paper towel in English specifically to yes. lord over Jin that he knew English. Yes. That, okay. All right, you start with uh, this, is a two, this is a two-parter. Uh, you can start with John. All right, from this from John. Hi, y'all. I'm a big fan of your show. Your commentary on it has gotten me back into watching some of my favorite episodes. No, nope, this Lost. isn't. A, this isn't the two-parter. Wrong. Should I continue? No, you can continue. Okay. And it has really reminded me of the heights of watching it for the first time. And also, I don't care what you say. Season four is great. Some characters whose names we're not going to say are some of the best characters in Lost, and season four is worth it for them alone. He's right about those characters. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> since y'all asked what show to do next, I immediately thought that if you wanted to continue the pattern of having a show with an amazing first season and kind of lackluster stuff after, Veronica Mars would be an excellent choice. Keep up the fantastic work y'all are doing. I've never... Have you seen Veronica I Mars? I have not. Have you guys seen Veronica Mars? Yeah. It's is good? It's good? Yeah. It's okay. worth the first season is worth watching. Okay, right. I uh, I have some friends who when they did the Veronica Mars Kickstarter, they went. Cra- I have one friend who uh, backed at like the highest level the like walk on extra role, and she's in the movie they made. That's pretty good. That's hardcore. Hardcore. Uh, all right, so these are our last uh, set of emails, uh, but uh, they are. Uh, this is actually the two parter. I'm not lying at this point. Which one do you want to do? I'll do the first one. Okay. Uh, hey guys, Jack here with my opinion. Hi, Jack. With my opinion on the pilot of the West Wing, thanks for reading my tweet on the podcast. That's, you did that. Uh, I thought the pilot uh, was perfect. The dialogue was smart and quick. The way the writers introduced characters was really smart, and I loved every second of the episode. I thought John Spencer had some great scenes, same with Richard. Their, pos- their personalities were introduced quickly. I started liking them as soon as they were introduced. However, I think Bradley Whitford's character and Mandy stuck out the most of all of them. I think every character was given plenty of screen time, and I don't think there were any bad lines of dialogue uh, or scenes, although Sam's totally true information of the White House was rather cringeworthy, but not in a bad way. I don't know what that means. Uh, have, you, have you seen this? Yes, but I just don't know what he means by when they, rather when cringeworthy, they have, when but Leo's, not in a bad way. When, when Leo McGarry's daughter's first grade class mm-hmm. comes to tour the White House, mm-hmm. and Sam has to give the tour, and he doesn't know anything about the White House, mm-hmm. and he's like, 
this table was made from the timbers of a pirate ship, and he's okay. just making it up. That's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Intentionally, in, intentionally cringeworthy. That's, yes. uh, that's okay. Uh, this is definitely one of the best first episodes of the show that I've seen. I'm looking forward to seeing the whole show. Jack. P.S. Shrimp are prawn and prawn are shrimp. <laughs> I still don't know if I believe you, Jack. Uh, I also really enjoy that he, uh, that Mandy really stuck out as a great character on the West Wing. Uh, all right. Next uh, email for this is from, is this real? Yes. This is from Jack's dad. <laughs> the father <laughs> of the previous email. Oh, this is so good. Okay. I'm Jack's dad. <laughs> Literally begins that way. And I just wanted to thank you for responding to his tweet and mentioning him on the podcast. You made our day. <laughs> We've watched the first half dozen episodes of The West Wing. We're both thoroughly enjoying it. The dialogue is smart and funny. The characters are immediately likable. Uh, and that's the only thing that bugs me about the show. For a show that focuses on the White House, everyone's constantly doing the right thing and getting along with no hidden agenda or infighting. <laughs> Even when people, well, there's the Topo Chico. Uh, even when people disagree, their motives are pure and transparent. It's an idealized version of the White House, uh, the one we wish we had, rather than anything that could possibly reflect reality. I strongly suspect this can't continue for too long, or the show will eventually become repetitive and boring. I am looking forward to at least a little White House intrigue. Uh, that's the thing I like about West Wing, is there's a lot of shows that show you how shitty everything is in the world, and West Wing is the one show that's like, here's how good we could act uh, if we wanted to. Um, also, more emails in which the follow-up is from your father. <laughs> or mother. Uh, any familial sort of follow-up oh, is Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, um, I love that that email just began, I'm Jack's dad. <laughs> Just re- yeah, just well, you know, yeah. we wanted you wanted to know that. <laughs> yeah, I was operating on a patient. And I was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> he re- he really could have leaned into it. <clears throat> All right, we don't even we... know if he watches Lost. No, does he listen to the podcast? No, Jack's I don't dad. Know. He Can likes we get West... Jack's, da- Jack's dad follow up. He likes West Wing. <laughs> uh, is this a new one? Is this in the document? Is this uh, old... I didn't look at this part. Uh... Uh, I don't know. Let's skip it. Okay. Uh, Let's skip it. Let's go to our most exciting interview. Uh, And this is our chat with the Zojirishi Corporation. All right. Uh, Patrick and I are now joined by Jason and Amy from the Zojirushi company. Uh, Thank you guys so much for joining us. This is, I I mean this completely sincerely. This is like super exciting for us. And we're huge fans of of your work and and everything your company does. Dream come true. Oh well, the feeling is mutual. We're uh, we're a little starstruck over here ourselves. So uh, if we fumble over our words, that's why it's it's Still great to, to meet here. you guys. So I am a, so I'm a huge uh, Zojirushi fan, and we'll get into in a minute um, all of the products that I have and that I I will endorse. Uh, but I found out about uh, Zojirushi through Patrick, who back in the in the days of the giant when when Patrick was on the Giant Bomb podcast um, was a was a much discussed mug. Uh, from our friend Ryan. Um, and Amy, I think you have a connection to that as well. Yeah, in fact, uh, I'm, I was a long-time Giant Bomb listener, and so uh, the first time I heard about this product, or Zodrushi, uh brand, was from Ryan Davis, who, uh, who had one of our mugs. So um, I, I had actually heard about our company, or that's the way I got introduced, long before I started, before I started here. So, uh, you know, I... I that's, a, that's a small world. Yeah, <laughs> it's come full circle. So, um, Jason, Amy, can you set up for our for our listeners what is the Zojirushi company? Yeah, well, um, the company is based out of Japan, um, so we are a um, kind of the the stepchild of that company. Um, Zojirushi Japan 
Um, supplies Zojirushi America, Zojirushi Ch- uh, Taiwan, and Zojirushi China. And the company goes, it's a pretty old company. I think I saw on the website it goes back to like the early 1900s. Yep. We started in 1918 with uh, the vacuum technology, um, and that would be uh, the glass-lined bottles. And we've grown um, from that into small electrics, small appliances, um, you know, bread machines, water boilers, and, and of course, our rice cookers, um, which is kind of the central line of our electrics. Um, Patrick, do you want to do you want to talk about the that that the the first Zojirushi product that you got excited about those those uh, thermoses? Well, yeah, it's like Ryan. I don't know how it started, but Ryan bought one in the office and like would not shut up about it. Uh, <laughs> mostly because it kept things really warm and it kept things really cold. He was like he was he was perplexed by its ability to do both, and so everyone in the office just started buying them. And so like within a couple of weeks. The entire Giant Bomb office, uh, which included a bunch of other websites, had basically all bought Zojushi products. And I remember at the time, because we were talking about it in the office and the podcast, and we were like, we got to get some sort of partnership going. And like at some point, there was someone reached out to Zojirushi, but they were deeply confused about what our website was. <laughs> like, why, is this, why is this place called Giant Bomb talking about our stuff? That seems like a terrible brand to associate ourselves with. And so they didn't go anywhere. Like we wanted to do, we wanted to do everything in our power to make something happen. But I, I think like the phone calls and emails were just looked at with sort of that's a site called Giant Bomb. We're just going to uh, put that in the spam folder. That's great. That's. <laughs> do you know what, what year are we talking here? Uh, probably about four years ago. Maybe three mm. years ago, probably four years ago, though. Okay, we're we're smiling, picturing who, who might have opened that email and, uh, and looked it over. That's funny. So, and, yeah, and, I don't blame them. I definitely don't blame them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, for me, I came to. I think I heard, I must have heard about the the mug from Patrick for the first time. And for me, like I have a I have my background is in design and, and product design. So I'm just uh, I'm I'm a really like insufferably picky person when it comes to products that I use and and I I care a lot about aesthetics but I also really care a lot about functionality. And man, I just my whole I also drink a ton of coffee and my whole and tea and my whole life I've just burned through thermoses and mugs and travel mugs and they're just terrible. It's just a bad category and I there was a point in my life where I had just like come to peace with like these things are always going to be garbage. And I'm just going to buy a bunch of cheap ones so that when they break or they spill or I get frustrated with them, I'll just throw them out and switch to a new one. And uh, I got uh, the first uh, Zojirishi, um I got the, the stainless steel vacuum uh, SMKHE36, uh, right. the black one. Uh-huh. And man, it's just a different – it's just a different animal. Like I have, I throw it in my backpack. I have complete confidence that it's not going to leak. And if I occasionally, like let's say I make a coffee and I leave it overnight and, you know, I go to clean it the next day, it's still hot. It keeps coffee so hot for so long. It's, um, um, it's unbelievable how well it works. Yeah. Our, our SMKHE model is very popular. It's a great model. Um, we're expanding our line a lot or we have recently. Um, we have a new model that's very, very similar called the SMSA um, that's available in a larger size uh, as well. Oh, this, is, this is the one that's kind of tapered into the top, so it's a little yeah. fatter on the body. Okay, I've seen those. If you, if you, if you hold uh, the SMKHE and SMSA uh, of the same size in each hand, you'll feel that the SMSA is lighter. So we've made it a lighter, slimmer product. It's a really cool, really cool model. 
This is uh, so one of the nice. Um, so we have a, we run a like a co working space in Chicago, and it's all kinds of creative people who share this office together. And we have like a little welcome gift that we give to people when they come in the office. So we usually give them some like pens and office supplies and stuff. And we give everyone um, one of these SMSA. The uh, let's see, the little guys, the sixteen ounce ones. I, no, the twelve uh-huh. ounce ones. It's just yeah. like a little, a little, um, you know, like housewarming, like welcome to the office present, and like everybody loves these things. Oh, that's great. That's great to hear. And I think one of the challenges, um, to your point earlier, for us has been in the sales department is kind of shifting the mindset of the consumers in this space to realize that um, these are no longer you know, disposable items almost as they were viewed before, something you used for a couple months and now you need to buy a replacement. So Yeah, and also if you lose something like a gasket or a part, um, uh, we, we have an online store that sells those. You can contact customer service. So they're meant to stay with you over a long period of time. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had mine probably, I'm going on two years, I think, that I've had mine. And it's, you know, it's got... One of the other things I really appreciate the product uh, about the product design is like it's gotten like dinged up and dented and scratched a little bit, but it's a product that also ages really well. Like it looks cool as it gets older, and it's sort of designed to be to be rugged and to age well and and to last. Like there's a there's a kind of product that kind of gets dinged up and it looks cool when it gets older. It looks like the Millennium Falcon, and this definitely <laughs> uh, this definitely fits into that. Millennium Falcon, that's awesome. Well, well let's like, a picture of your bottle. Yeah, sure. I'll send uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll send one over. This oh, is, that's gold. That'll this be is officially the nerdiest thing we've ever done on our uh, on an already uh, incredibly nerdy podcast. Ah, the Millennium Falcon. That's you just made my day. Um, <laughs> so, can you guys? T- so, what? Why are Zojirushi uh, thermos? So, we'll just start with thermoses for a minute. What distinguishes them? Like, why is it so much better than everything else on the market? Uh, well, again, this is how our company started. Um, the vacuum insulation is. I mean, we're, it's. The best money can buy. It's top of the line. Uh, we use eighteen eight grade steel, um, and uh, you know we also have a five year warranty on heat retention. So if you know the outside of your um, bottle starts to feel hot, that's something that we can replace under warranty. We do stand behind the product, and uh, it, a lot of it is just design. Um, we spend a lot of time thinking about you know what what makes a bottle easier to use, um, the you know the form factor. Uh, we're really serious about um, making sure that we have the best product in the marketplace. Very cool. I think it's been you know a series of inc- incremental improvements as well. Like Amy was saying, I mean we've been we've been doing this for almost a hundred years now, um, and the technology is not groundbreaking. Nothing's changed as far as the the, the vacuum technology itself, but we've been able to minimize the space between the two walls um, to bring the bottle a, a little more comfortable feel in your hand. Um, we've re-engineered the drinking spout. And all of this goes through uh, you know, a series of tests, um, retests. We all test here in the office. Um, and incremental improvements are just what we've, what we've strived to bring to this market. And again, we're really excited about some of our upcoming offerings that I can't talk about right now, but um, I'm really psyched to share them with you when that time comes. Oh, cool. Well, we, uh, I, I can't wait to uh, check them out. Um, so, and Jason, your, so your area um, in the company, you work on retail in the U.S. Is that, did I, I'm just getting that from like your email signature. Is that right? Yeah, correct. My role here is to uh, manage the sales. Um, I work heavily on the e-commerce side. Um, so anything on large online retail platforms, um, some of the 
larger specialty kitchen stores. That's uh, those are the areas that I manage. Um, and sorry, I don't know if there's like a polite way to ask this, but is like is Zojirishi a big <laughs> brand in the U.S.? Like I have a hard time telling. It, it's. It, um, we're growing. I think uh, compared to compared to how we are in Japan, um, you know, we don't have quite as much of the market out here. Um, you know, we aren't quite doing the volume that a Thermos or a Contigo um, is doing. But I would say that one of the things that we pride ourselves on and differentiate ourselves um, by is is our rabid fans. So we have people that will run up to us at trade shows, you know, give us hugs, pull out <laughs> bottles from their purses. Um, one of the best things was at the um, houseware show in Chicago. Um, we caught one of our competitors pulling a Zojirushi bottle out of her purse after hours. So that was a good, we were trying to snap pictures and, and all that. So, um, you know, that we, we really strive for, um, you know, quality. Um, we don't have the manufacturing capacity that some of the larger competitors do. Um, so we really strive on making sure that the bottles that get into people's hands, that they love them and that, um, that any problems arise, that we're here to interact with them and, and make it right. And I swear I saw Patrick in Chicago when I was at that show. Uh, but also, it depends on it depends on which which product you're talking about too, because the kinds of customers we have for each kind of product differs quite a bit. So, for instance, our bread machines have a huge following, and if you're only interested in our mugs, you might not know um, how dedicated those customers are to our product. Also, because we've been making bread machines for quite a while, we have customers call saying. They've had you know, their bread machine since 1993, and they're still using it, and they want to continue using only our product. So it, it just depends. Well, I have, uh, I've not tried the uh, Zojirushi bread machine, but um, can I also ask you guys about the, the rice cooker line? Absolutely. So I've got uh, – I just pulled up on the website. I got a couple years ago the uh, a Neuro Fuzzy rice cooker and warmer. It's the NSZCC10. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that's the most ubiquitous models. Uh, that's that might be like the nicest kitchen appliance that I own. Oh, jeez, <laughs> this is great. It's like it's like insane. It's like it's crazy. It's I, it's a thing that um, like maybe I, I guess as an American, I didn't uh, necessarily appreciate that you that you could really even make rice that well, uh, like at home. Like it's a kind of rice that you expect at like a, a high end sushi restaurant or you know someone who takes hours and steams it and uh, does everything you know uh, in a very precise way and it's so easy you you just rinse the rice and dump the water in it and it goes absolutely and have you tried any non rice recipes any cakes or macaroni and cheese or anything so I in did there? there was the one going around the internet where you could make a pancake in the rice cooker nice. did you guys see nice. that one. Yeah. Did you do it? I did. I did the rice cooker pancake, <laughs> and it was pretty good. I got. I was actually terrified. I was. I didn't want to like ruin. I was worried of of getting pancake batter somewhere where it wasn't supposed to go. But it's totally fine. Uh, if <laughs> you awesome. want some recipes that we're comfortable endorsing, you can also check out our website too, because we do update that on a monthly basis with with uh, rice co- rice cooker recipes. Uh, a lot of the time, we also have bread machine recipes, uh, back, um, lunch jar recipes, all kinds of stuff. So for, for people who may not know, what distinguishes a, a good rice cooker from a bad rice cooker? Well, I would say that the, the big difference is in the technology. Um, so the NeuroFuzzy rice cooker, the, the model that you own, and our MyCom units in general, um, the variables for different grains have been 
specialized over the years by our testing um, kitchen and our and our engineers. So the variables include how long do we soak the grain? Um, how quickly does the temperature rise? What temperature does it rise to? How long does it stay at that temperature? Mm-hmm. How quickly does it fall? So all these variables are tweaked um, no matter if you're doing white rice, um, if you want that r- white rice to turn out hard or soft, if you're doing brown rice, if you're doing steel-cut oats in there, um, sweet rice. We were coming out with new models that do jasmine rice. Yeah, we just introduced that one. And then now... Uh, we do another feature called a GABA brown, um, which soaks brown rice and adds some extra amino acid properties um, to that as well. So oh, wow. tink- tinkering with all those variables, um, you know, we're pretty nerdy about rice around here as well, as you can tell. So I think that's what really differentiates us in the, in the marketplace. And, and too, you have, a, you have a, a, a Micom rice cooker, but we do also have induction heating rice cookers and pressure rice cookers. Our top of the line right now has... Um, artificial intelligence uh so that's like our super techie talk uh top of the line model uh the npnvc what a, but what a, what a sad what a sad fate for that rice cooker it's like a it's like an intelligent <laughs> mach- it's like an intelligent machine and it's self-aware as an ai but yeah, working, it has to it has to live out its life as a rice cooker uh, well yeah. don't feel bad for it it beat me in chess yesterday so <laughs> uh okay i have another question about my rice cooker for you, so the mine I got it, uh, and it's called it, like the brand is like Neurofuzzy, which is like a yep. it's a trademark of Zojirushi, Zojirushi. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. So it's a so I've seen the only other place I've seen I recognize Neurofuzzy for from is isn't that the brand of all the electronics in The Sims? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a Sims player, so I can't oh say. Patrick, back uh-huh. back me up. I haven't played The Sims either, but I'm going to say yes because it's funnier if it's true. Okay. Yes. <laughs> We're hopping on Google right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking now. I'm like looking it up because I'm worried I'm going crazy. No, it's not. It's something. Either, it was, either, no, either, either, was, either way, if it's true or you're crazy, it all works out. You know what? Theirs right. was theirs was Fuzzy Logic. That was the brand. All the appliances oh. in The Sims were Fuzzy Logic oh. brand. Yeah. Well, that's what we. That's what it says on the. Fuzzy so Logic funny. is kind of like an umbrella term. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What is that? So it doesn't, it's not specific to our product. Neurofuzzy neuro is because the Neurofuzzy has three sensors um, for making uh, fine adjustments to cooking time and temperature. So it's a li- it's kind of a step up from just uh, fuzzy logic. So and let's say I was ready. I wanted to like up my rice cooker game here, and I want and I wanted to look at the the pressure cooker or or the pressure or the sorry the induction uh, cooking models. What's the advantages uh-huh. there? Well, with the induction heating models, um, if you notice on your model, if you take the pan out, there's mm-hmm. a heating element on the bottom that heats the pan from the bottom up. With our induction heating models, it uses a magnetic uh, field that turns the pan into an instant heat source. So it's very, very even cooking. It's the best kind of cooking that you can do. And it's just like the difference between a conventional uh, stovetop and an induction heating stovetop. Wow. I this is this is exciting. I might need to get it. I'm I'm now I'm looking at this uh, at the the NPHCC yeah, models. Yeah, the NPHCC is the one we just introduced. We're very excited about it. It has a dedicated jasmine rice setting. Um, I would highly recommend it, and it is a very sexy looking rice cooker. Um, so let me. So I I just have a couple more questions for you guys. How I'm curious. How did you guys wind up working for this like Japanese appliance company? Do you guys have uh, did you start off in working in food or, or from like the, <laughs> the food industry? 
I uh, I spent about six years doing retail sales and fashion. Wow! And then I got uh, I got recruited um, through a Japanese agency. I have mild Japanese proficiency um, uh, for a customer service. So I I did customer service for this company for. Uh, a um, couple of years, and then uh, I recently moved into this position uh, in February. So I'm super excited about it, and I'm really glad that I get to talk to people like you. And and uh, and being a part of the community by doing social media has been a really neat experience too. Yeah, it must be. I mean, it's nice um, um, for from a marketing point of view. It's nice to get to market something that's the best. Yeah, it, absolutely. It makes it's it makes your job a lot easier. Right, because it's a quality product. There's, you know, we 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 believe in it a hundred percent. What um uh what do, so you have some uh, Japanese knowledge. What does uh, zojirushi mean? Uh, well, zo would mean elephant, and jirushi would mean brand. So um, it's it's basically elephant brand, uh, and uh, in in. You know, sometimes we'll just get called Zoe. Uh We're known as the Elephant Company. Huh. Uh, and Jason, what's your path to uh, Zojirishi? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a common question I get um, from my coworkers as well. How did you end up here? Um, but uh, <laughs> Who let you in? <laughs> Who let me in, yeah. <laughs> um, I, w- I started out working for Xerox after college um, and then moved down to L.A. here and was working for a uh, manufacturer of clothing apparel and I was doing some networking and had spoken to a couple of the, the management personnel here and um, made the transition over here about two years ago. Very cool. Um, let's see, Patrick, anything else that uh, you want to ask uh, Jason and Amy? I just like that we managed to have an interview where they were not allowed to talk about upcoming products just because there's something very funny about the fact that we had to be very cagey about that. I like that there are still secrets in all sorts of industries, even if it is uh, in mugs and rice cookers. You know what's funny? Uh, this was kind of unplanned for me to join Jason. I haven't talked to my boss about this, so I have no idea what I'm allowed to tell you. <laughs> well, we, um, you know, to, to all your listeners, um, you know, very soon you'll have in your possession one of very few of our new products. Um, I think there's four of them floating out there. Wow. Uh, but no, no one's written about them, so keep an eye out for, uh, for that soon coming from Max. Um, you know, he'll have that product in his hand uh, shortly, and I might get in trouble for marketing, but... Um. Super clandestine. <laughs> well, I will, uh, as, soon as, as soon as we get that in, we'll, we'll give it a spin, and uh, I will right. post, some, we'll post some reviews, and I will link that up on the, on the Lost blog. Um, so let's see, my final question for you guys. When I use my rice cooker, when I start it, it plays Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Uh-huh. And when it's done, it plays another song that I can't remember. Why? What? How did that? Do you guys know how that came about? Because it's like the most charming thing. When I have people over and I'm cooking and they hear the rice cooker like sing a little song when it's done, yeah, it's pro- it's like the most adorable thing in the world. I, I don't have know no where idea. that came it's from. It's very yeah. quintessentially sort of Japanese thing to do. Yeah. Um, but I I don't I don't know for people um, for people that don't like that for whatever reason you can change it to a beep or, or you can change it to silent but um, you know I'm not really what certain kind of, what kind of monster what kind of monster would turn the song off 
right? Yeah. Having no joy in your we heart. Will, we'll find out where that came from for you. We'll post it. Okay. Yeah. I'm. I'm just. It's like it's just so. There's a. There's a. I think it just speaks to the care and the joyfulness of the products, which is something that is not. Uh, you know, American product design right now. It's very cold. It's very mechanical, and it's just such a such a great little surprise whenever you use it's, it. It's like a rice siren song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I always feel like it's proud of. It's like I did my job. Look, and it's singing a little, a singing a little song. <laughs> you yeah. did it! Yay! Yeah, yeah exactly. I heard it. Uh, I heard it on an ice cream truck the other day, and I got hungry. I was, <laughs> <laughs> it's ready to eat. Uh, guys, thank you so much for your time. This was this was like a total treat for us to get to uh, nerd out about um, some products that we really like. I will put uh, in the show notes. Uh, to our podcast, I will put a link to my NeuroFuzzy rice cooker and to the mugs that Patrick and I have. Um, is there any? What are your guys' uh, favorite products in the product line? Anything else we should link to? Uh, I love the SMSA. Uh, it's the model I was I was talking about earlier. It's one of our newer vacuum bottles. It's super lightweight, compact. Um, I love the lid design. Uh, comes in great colors, three sizes. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, the new 20-ounce bottle, um, That's that's been a first for us. That came out late last year. Uh, but I love my rice cooker. I have um, the NSTSC10. Uh, it's a five-and-a-half cup, and I make pretty much everything in that, which is a, which is a big change in my diet. Um, you know, I was a kind of meat and potatoes guy, and um, it, it's, been a great, it's been a great experience in my kitchen, and it's, it's the main appliance I use now. Very cool. Uh, the only other thing, uh, earlier we were talking about the NPHCC model, which is our new one that has the jasmine rice setting and it's uh, induction heating. Uh, I would highly recommend checking that one out. We're very excited about that product also. Yeah, I've got it open on my computer right now. It's a very tempting uh, upgrade for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right on. All right. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much uh, to our friends at the... Uh, Zojirushi Corporation for Is that speaking the full with name? Zojirushi Corporation? You're just like know. calling them a corporation. But I don't know. The okay. All right. Zojirushi Initiative. T- sure. Yeah. Uh, nicely done. No, I see. It's funny listening to the uh, to yourself clips. Talk? Horrible. Uh, insufferable. I don't know how you people <laughs> do it. But uh, it's funny listening to the clips of these interviews because I'm way more of a fanboy of the thermoses than the guy who wrote Lost. <laughs> I'm so much. I'm so much more excited to tell them how much I like their thermoses than the guy who made Lost. Well, like you know, t- to be fair, like on a day to day basis, the thermos like makes a more meaningful impact on your life. They're they're tr- they're the best thermoses. They're so they're good. They're really good. They're really cheap. It's like you know, I bought my wife one for Christmas and then just stole it. <laughs> True. <laughs> Uh, all She's right, nodding we, her head. We will. I'm, we're we're going to put uh, in the show notes for this episode. I will put the uh, link to our Zojirushi products that we use and endorse. And after the interview and talking with them, I, uh, I went on did Amazon. They, did they send you stuff? They did. They sent us a little care package uh, of some new thermoses uh, that we can talk about. No, but shown me them. Uh, I also did go online and buy a Zojirushi bread maker, and it will be at the office this week. So wow. we can, we can okay. try it. All out. Right. They said it was one of their best products, so I'm very excited. Uh, so They're a corporation. Us, <clears throat> I trust them. Corporate Zojirushi Corporation. Uh, so they sent us three mugs. They sent us two stainless steel uh, mugs, like we have, uh, that are great. And they sent us actually a prototype model of a new product they're coming out with. Uh, and there's only four of them that exist, and they sent us one early to uh, review. So we'll post some photos of that. They were also not sure if they should have sent it. 
but they sent it anyway. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll post some photos in the show notes. We're run this past marketing, but we sent you one. Yeah. Okay. It's uh, it's really good actually. What's different? So it's it's basically the thermos that you know and love. Uh, same capacity, mm-hmm. but it's a lot wider. It has the dimensions of more of like an American like coffee thermos. Mm-hmm. So it fits in your car. If you've ever tried to put the really skinny one in your car, yep. it can't sort of rattle around. So it fits in your car. A little easier to grip for some people. A little more ergonomic. And then on the mouth, because it's much bigger, it's like a little wider. So you can guzzle your coffee great more efficiently. Fantastic. Or yeah. your Tabachico. Well, I wouldn't I think it would explode. <laughs> <laughs> one way to find I think out. That's like a pressure cooker bomb if you put this in a wow. uh, in one of those that's uh, QA. thermoses. All right. Uh let's bring I think we should probably um t- start talking about this episode a little bit. Um why don't we bring up uh Trin and Chris, now that I think I just saw Chris walk out. There he is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, All right. So, uh, guys, let's... uh, No, no, no. We'll just share. We can share mics. Uh, Let's uh, welcome to the stage Chris Geiger and Trin Garitano. And uh, Chris, can you grab a chair also? We're short at one chair. Thank you. No, we'll share mics. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. All right. So, Chris... You've never you've never seen an episode of Lost. Right. When we started doing this podcast, we had this dumb idea that we would have you as a guest for the finale, and you would watch the finale and yeah. sort of reconstruct the whole season of Lost. Well, so you've now seen the last hour of the finale, not even the whole finale. Mm-hmm. What'd you make of it? Um, this show's ridiculous. I actually wrote uh, what I thought. You took notes? Yeah, I took notes, um, but I wrote. My synopsis of what I think the show is immediately after watching this finale. So I think it is the fat guy, right? What's, what's his name? Hurley. 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 Hurley is imagining all of it as his escape from his horribly embarrassing two-seat purchase. <laughs> like, this is the story in his comic, and he's imagining everyone in the plane in the comic book, and the kid he winked at, he was attracted to... <laughs> So that's why he got abducted, and it took a weird turn. The hatch is covering his secret horrifying desires, which is why when it blew up, you saw how deeply evil and horrifying the fat guy really is inside and why he didn't want the hatch opened. That's what I thought happened. <laughs> wow. You're sure you've never seen this before? Never that's dark. It. Wow. Spo- yeah, you could have a spoiler warning. Yeah. All right. Uh, Trin, you've never seen Lost either. Uh, you have to hear, talk right into that. I thing. have not seen the show. Uh, what did you think of the finale? <laughs> <laughs> Good start. I, it was a show that I watched. Um, I'm not sure what I thought of it. I mean, I, it seemed to be about a plane crash. Like I didn't get that deep into it. It didn't seem to be metaphorical, except yeah. like the guy was in a wheelchair and then he wasn't in a wheelchair. So I'm assuming there's some like religious elements to the show hmm. and. That's, That's accurate. I yeah, I, I was thinking that it was going to end up being, because this is the end of season one, this is going to be like a science versus faith thing. So like the cute doctor versus the guy who I think is named Clark. Locke? That's probably yeah. his name. <laughs> you should have just said it was Clark. Clark. <laughs> yeah. Sure, Clark. Wheel, wheelchair Clark. Yeah. yeah. And then there's like these good and evil elements, and there's like a, that extremely heavy-handed like, oh, look, the Virgin Mary statue is somehow in the bag of this woman who just had a baby. <laughs> like... <laughs> Like, this is not the nativity right now. Uh, that's so good. But, yeah, uh, it's like a wildly different way to interpret that scene. It yes. is, like, that's, but that's valid. No, you're right. Based on the and final. And there is a lot of, like, weird, weird 
iconography and weirdness around that yeah. baby. Yeah. And there was a lot of like, um, like maybe this person is good, but instead they're evil, or maybe this good is ev- this person's evil, and instead they're good. So like, um, the convict seems to be a good person, and then like the uh, woman who stole the baby seems to be like a bad person. You know what I'm saying? So it's like this weird blurring of lines. I think it's gonna have like a religious and faith element to it. Yeah, that's what I got. Yeah, I got that. There's faith and science. There's some sexual tension between the faith and science guys. <laughs> Wait, wait, I Yeah, I are just, you a lot of weird just looking for sexual yeah. tension and Yeah, dude, I'm looking all sorts of weird vibes in this. What uh, other sexual tension notes do you have? Do you have um, any other um, influences? I, got, I, I thought that the Lord of the Rings guy was really rude. Good. Um in this episode. Mm-hmm. I thought that the handcuff lady was pretty kinky. Okay. <laughs> that was pretty weird. Alright. But and was that one dude sharing his inhaler with that woman? <laughs> Like, seriously, like, that's gross. <laughs> that's straight up gross. Does that inhaler become a thing in the show? Uh, not only are they sharing that inhaler, and not only are they lovers, they're brother and sister. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> that's true. I, mean, uh, I, thought this show was, I thought this show was, like, overall pretty rude. Like, like, <laughs> like, like, like <laughs> I'm glad that you mic'd yourself laughing, too. <laughs> uh, like, it's all, like, condescending airline lady. Like, sweaty dude cutting the line. Like, like that's, that's rude as crap, right? Uh, the, the guy, they have to have a special wheelchair to get the, the guy to the plane. Like, they can't wheel him down to the ramp to the plane. Uh, it's all, like, just people being rude to each other and platitudes. Like, you're either a hero or you want to die. Like, who says that? Yeah, yeah. Who says that ever? <laughs> ever. All right, this, was my, this is my next question for Trin. Uh, Trin, you are the co-host of one of my favorite podcasts, Aww. which is called Friendshipping. Thanks. Uh, and it's a podcast about friendship. It is. Uh, can you talk about some of the friendships that you observed in this episode? God, I can. They were all, like, bad friends to each other, though. <laughs> there were no healthy relationships portrayed on this show, except for the brother and sister that share an inhaler. <laughs> Yeah, but they had sex with each they other. They share more than an inhaler. Yeah. Do they really have sex with each other? You'll have to watch the show to find out. Oh, but, but was it's he... Lost's greatest mystery. The most beloved characters on Lost, and yeah. it's greatest mystery. Yeah. But is, is the sex brother a character on the show? Because <laughs> they seem to put a lot of weight on him. I thought yeah. he might have been He's in the show. He's a, a beloved character. <laughs> yeah. He, di- he died a couple episodes ago. Do you know the guy that that generally that your co-host of Friendshipping really likes, who is on Lost? That uh, who plays Boone? Ian Sir. Summerholder. Summerholder. Vampire Diaries. <laughs> Ian Summerholder. Yeah. Jen really likes him. Does she? Oh yeah. All I know is about her relationship with Chris Evans. Her in okay. real life relationship with Chris Evans. I got it. Uh, what did you? How do you think uh, if you were on this uh, island? How do you think you, you would uh, uh, suggest that these people improve their friendships? It's like uh, uh, when, Jack, when Jack and Clark were talking. <laughs> um, and they, he's like, and he was like, uh, he's like, you do believe in destiny. You just don't know it yet. Is that, do you think that's a persuasive argument? That's just quite a leap, I think, to make about somebody else's ideology. In general, everybody <laughs> needs to communicate a little bit better. Like when... Hugo? What was his name with the big hair? You got it. Yes. So when Hugo was running in and shouting, don't sh- do not do the thing, don't do the thing, and then they're like, no, definitely do the thing. Why didn't they listen to him? 
they should have communicated better and listened to each other to solve their problems. So I would say that's actually, I don't know that if it's intentional or not, but it's one of the biggest themes of Lost is that they get themselves into so much trouble because nobody listens to each other on this show. <laughs> All right. Any final thoughts based on what you saw, uh, Chris? Would you ever watch more of Lost? Um, I'll watch the finale for season two. Is <laughs> uh, <laughs> just to see where they've gone from I, there? That's a really that's a really good reoccurring segment. <laughs> actually, I think is just to have yeah. them on just to watch the finale. Yeah, I'll watch the finale of and connecting two. the dots. Yeah. Like, what do you think happened in the last twenty three? Yeah, episodes? I'm really interested to see where uh, the fat dude's like twisted fantasy goes in this plane ride. <laughs> Uh, it can only go down, really, because that's, that, that's the image that they le- left you with, with that whole pit all the way down. So, What do you, what do you think is in the pit? Um, well, I can only assume that they're either skeletons from World War II uh, or some sort of Cthulhu-esque monster or Adelan, the inhuman city, I believe. Attilan? Adelan? I don't know what you're talking about. A, oh, Inhumans. Yeah. I, yeah. Got, I got your reference, you. but I could not tell you how to say it. <laughs> What's that I from? can only meet you halfway there. It's a Marvel <laughs> thing. Oh, excuse like, me. Non-X-Men, X-Men. Excuse me. Too cool to know that, that one. That was condescending. Yeah. <laughs> Clark. <laughs> Trin, would you, based on this, would you ever watch another episode of Lost? I would listen to, I would listen to Chris's recap of it, for sure. Okay. <laughs> Get it from a good, reliable source. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, thank you guys so much for uh, watching the finale with us. Um, all right, Patrick, what do you? Uh, what should we do next? We have the uh, we have our interview with Javier yeah, Rio Markswatch. Should we go to that? Yeah. All right. Um, so uh, I should probably set up just a little bit how we got this interview. So uh, I have a friend in Portland uh, whose name is Keith Baker. He's a game designer. He made the Eberron setting for Dungeons and Dragons, which is probably um, uh, the thing he's best known for. But uh, he's one of my favorite game designers. Oh, he also made Gloom, which is like an amazing tabletop game. If you're ever looking for like um, uh, an amazing like intro table, really fun storytelling tabletop game uh, that's way better than Cards Against Humanity, uh, Gloom. Uh, but Keith is just like one of the nicest, most interesting guys I've ever met. <coughs> That's going to get edited out. And uh, he, Keith did a... I, I have to assume Keith knows uh, Javier because uh, he did a thing one year where he just traveled around the world and he posted online. Uh, this is Keith Baker did this. And he said, uh, if you let me stay in your house, like I will hang out with you and we'll play games together. And, um, you know, you can show me around your town. And he sort of like couch surfed around the world and had these incredible adventures for, um, for some time. And uh, every time we hang out, I hear amazing stories, and he's met just the most amazing people. So Keith uh, had a new project. He's working on a, uh, a card-based role-playing game called uh, Project Phoenix. That's that's one of my favorite role-playing games I've ever uh, played. And he had it on Kickstarter. And sure enough, I saw Javier Griot Merckswatch, who I started following after he um, I posted that uh, Lost article, link to Keith Baker's Kickstarter. So I emailed Keith, and I was like, what is happening? How do you know this guy? And he was like, oh, Javi, my friend Javi. Uh, <laughs> I, we play games together. And I was like, you've got to make an intro so that I can uh, beg him to be on the podcast. And Keith was nice enough to do that. Especially and in like the essay he wrote where he was like, I don't want to be any more Lost Podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> he was specifically said, too. Um, but I wrote him a very nice email, and I said, you know, we weren't interested in asking. You know, we, we, we're not interested in talking about the finale. We're not interested in talking about whether it's purgatory or not. We're not interested in talking about uh, did the writers know where it was going. We had other things we wanted to talk about. 
All right. Well, I'm uh, joined by Javier Grio Marks Watch, uh, who listeners of the podcast might remember uh, uh, is the was a writer on season one and two in, uh, of Lost, and also the author of the Lost Will and Testament of Javier Grio Marks Watch, which was um, uh, an article that we were very very lucky to have uh, come out as we were doing this podcast, where we're rewatching uh, season one of Lost. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, and thank you for reading the article. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, so Patrick and I um, are coming to this podcast uh, as as big fans of Lost, but also as as fans of storytelling and and world building and character building, and we're really we're trying to take this like more slow, careful rewatch of season one of Lost, where we consider every episode and we're we're sort of taking it apart and looking at we're trying to get inside the minds of the writers and just look at how this thing was put together because it's kind of this magnificent. It's like a it's like a watch, like every piece is so. <laughs> so tightly fit together and the payoff because uh, we're, we're just getting to the the uh, last part of the finale this week the payoff is right. just huge yes. um, so <laughs> the um so we we've kind of gone through the lost article uh that you wrote and it's awesome but i actually wanted to start off by asking you about a different uh piece of writing it, that you put it, together it has left you wanting more that's that's uh that's horrible <laughs> no <laughs> I, actually words. <laughs> it, it was uh it was it was such a great piece and i thought that it, it was so it, it really like laid to rest some of the the low level questions about lost and it and it kind sure, of freed sure. us up to to think about some of the the cooler stuff um, oh, so, great. Okay. Cool. So what I wanted to what I wanted to ask you about is um, something else you've written about, which is um, what an operational theme of a piece of fiction is, and how that's uh, yeah. different than the concept. Uh huh. Thank you for reading that one too. That's 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 amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so uh, well, uh, you mean in terms of the concept of Lost? Well, we uh, we can certainly use Lost as an example, um, but well, I thought there was there was a lot of great examples in that piece. So feel free to you know for for, for me, an operational theme is something that any successful television show has. And and writing that article, which uh, was uh, was in Apex Magazine, and then um, I reprinted it in this in this book that I that I put out. Um, it's really about you know I, I read a lot of pilots nowadays, and and a lot of well you know most of my career I've been reading pilots, and I think one of the things that I've noticed more than anything else, you know the business has changed a lot, and a lot of what's happening is that um, people who maybe don't have the kind of apprenticeship in television that you might have gotten you know when I was starting out, um, you know are creating television shows, and and there's a lot of great things that are coming out of that, but one of the things that tends to not to, that, that that I've noticed lacking in a lot of that is is a focus on what creates longevity for a television show, and that's what I feel is the operational theme. Is that you know you have to find in your in in the premise of your show in the 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 the, the blend of of character and plot uh, something that is that is a core condition of your character that's constantly challenged in it. And one of the examples that I use in um, in, in the essay is Breaking Bad. You know, and, and in Breaking Bad, um, it's quite literally you know that this man has to become something that everybody hates. But that he loves in order to save his family, which is the most important thing in his life, you know. Yeah. So, 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 and that is a tension that, and and the the thing that makes an operational theme different from an idea or a concept or a an intellectual theme or something is that it's something that is tested in every episode, and I think that's why in in um, you know, when you look at cop shows, why are cop shows so durable? You know, it's because you usually have a main character whose operational theme is quite simply an obsession with law and order. You know. Um, and and I think that that's that that at the core of those shows where the the case of the week shows up at the front doorstep of 
of of the protagonist. It's it's you're literally looking at a protagonist who they probably had a wife who was killed by a serial killer, and now they must hunt down all the serial killers. You know that sort of thing. Yeah. And that's sort of the most basic level of it. On something like Lost, um, the operational theme was something that was reasonably subtle, and that we didn't really hit on until until fairly late in the development process. And it's it was the idea that on the island you can become anything that you weren't in your previous life, you know? And and in a way, the flashback device sort of served to illustrate that. You know, we had people who were trying to really transform themselves and who'd found themselves in this island where, you know, and look, it's it's the trope of the desert island. What, you know, if, if nobody knows who you are, then what do you say you are? And can you be the thing you want to be rather than the thing you are kind of doomed by your own nature and your fate and your upbringing to, to be? So, but, but on Lost, we didn't hit on that until fairly late in the development. Because as I said in the article, we weren't really going to um, have the flashbacks as, as part of the episodes mm. um, until very late in, in the development of that first season, before the show was picked up, but, but late in our, in our talks about it. Um, but, but that really wound up giving us a, a framework from which to base all of the actions of every character. So we really were dealing with, okay, this is who Jack, you know, Jack is striving to be this perfect leader on the island. Why? Oh, because, you know, he had to turn in his dad, who turned out to be a flawed leader, because he had all of these issues with... with um, how he was treated by his family because he had to, he had all of these issues about how he saw himself as a successful doctor or somebody who was able to lead and all that. So he's going to try to be that person on the island that he could never be in his real life. And that became, you know, Locke, it, it's very obvious sort of with Locke. I mean, it's probably the character with whom it's most obvious, but even with Sun and Jin and everybody, that sort of became an organizing metaphor that allowed us to tell some of those great stories, especially in the first season when we're really hitting that theme um, consistently. One of the uh, we we were talking to uh, the author uh, Patrick Rothfuss um, about mm-hmm, uh, loss sure. and just about uh, character building uh, a few episodes uh-huh. back, and he brought up this great point that uh, when you become absorbed in a piece of fiction, you begin to want the things that the characters want, and right. the more you invest <laughs> in the characters, the more you right. want what they want. Um, and it seems like uh, these characters have many of them are motivated by the same operational theme of of reinvention and opportunity, uh, but they want such different things. Some characters um, want to get back to their lives. Some want to stay on the island. We're, do you think that that's part of the the sort of emotional charge that the fan base got was that different people um, connected to those themes in, in different ways and through different characters? Well, absolutely. I think, look, it, you know, it, it's funny. I think that's a really interesting idea that you want what the characters want, because up until the very end of Breaking Bad, I wanted Walter White to win. <laughs> You know, yeah. way, way, way beyond when it had been proven that he was a resolutely evil individual. I was like, yeah, but I kind of still want him to beat everybody. And I think that the genius of the, of the way they ended that show is that everybody got what they wanted. I mean, Walter White died and it was swift justice. But at the same time, you know, he, he became evil Batman. Yeah. and got the best of everybody. So it was a pretty great finale because it actually delivered on everything while maintaining that moral high ground. Um, so, so I actually I, I really like that analysis uh, of, of, of what a successful show does. You know, on Lost, I think that there's a couple of things. I think that one of the things on Lost, and, and, and I can't stress this enough, is that there was a real alchemy that went into making that show. So it's like it's very easy to say, well, it was this one element or this other element that's responsible for the show's success. But one of the things that, that, I, that I most learned in that show and that most has stuck with me is that sometimes it just doesn't come together. You know, you can have a perfect operational theme and a great cast or what have you, and the show just doesn't happen because there's there's a spark that's missing. And Lost was such a just disparate mis- a mixture of such disparate things, um, and somehow we we managed to pull it all together. Now that much said, I think that definitely you know look the, the, we had the epiphany to put flashbacks in the show, 
because we wrote these very, very detailed character backstories and we kept realizing that those things were those things were there supposedly to inform um, how they behaved on the island. But then we're like, God, we've got flashbacks in the pilot. Let's have the flashbacks in the show, you know, and let's really make this the point of the show. And, and it was at that point that the dam kind of busted open for us. And I think definitely, look, there's also a theory that, you know, one of the, like the theory of why the Spice Girls were popular mm-hmm. is because there's a Spice Girl for every taste, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and in some way, you know, when you have a 14-person ensemble, even if they're all formally doing the same thing, which is pretending to be something they're not, or conversely pretending to be something they are that they never allowed themselves to be previously, um, with 14 different characters, they're not all after the same thing. Not all of them want to be the perfect leader, you know? Um, uh, you know, Charlie wanted to be a, a, a good father and a good sibling to 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 to, to uh, Claire's baby and 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 to be somebody who is worthy of that kind of love that he never had, and that's how that manifested itself. You know, Locke wanted to be the man of action, and he finally got to be that very successfully. So 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 everybody everybody was sort of on 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 a path that that was leading them toward a reinvention, but they were all very different. And I think that's where one of the big bits of genius in the show was was that. Everybody had the same operational theme, but the expressions of it were so diverse that I think everybody could find a character. You know, everybody could find their own Spice Girl in that in that cast. You know, yeah. And I, I think um, one of the um, I think one of the really fun things about season one is you have all these these kind of rich characters in the background, and as the season goes on, uh, they each get a chance to kind of come into the foreground, and the audience um, learns about their own life and their own background and how these the, the sort of larger themes of the show yeah. play into that. Um, and specific, I mean, some of your episodes are, are some of the best examples. Uh, like I'm oh, thinking of uh, House of the Rising Sun um, is mm-hmm. probably my favorite one. Um, what was that? Can you can you talk a little bit about um, what that was like? You know, uh, helping helping find those characters and and connect them with those themes. Oh, were, were you, absolutely. Were you, you know, think, and, look, were, uh, my, other, my other part of that question is like, were, was it surprising to you as a writer to find that stuff, or um, were, were those? Did you start from the theme and then sort of work it into the character? Were you were you yourself surprised to see uh, as the character kind of revealed themselves how the, the themes connected? Well, I think I think both. You know, I think when you have something as big, look, I mean, Lost was twenty four hours of narrative storytelling told over a year, and it was planned over the course of a year, and some of the planning was on the fly, and some of the planning was pre planned. You know. We wrote extensive character backstories for everybody, but some of them were discarded. Like the Hurley backstory, you know, it wasn't until David Fury got that to work that it worked. And, and he kind of made up a very different backstory um, than what we had. Originally, he was going to be a repo man, and we, we could not get that to work in any way. We wanted him to be the world's greatest repo man. So that would be sort of the, the you know, you've got this sort of amiable guy, but then it turns out, on you know, uh, that, that, that his job was something that was a little dark, but it was because he was so amiable that he was so good at it. And we could not, for the life of us, get that to work. So the lottery winner thing came out fairly late. Um, you know, with something like, it's interesting, out of all the episodes that, that I was assigned to do, um, when I got House of the Rising Sun, I was not very excited about it. And, I, and I've told this story a couple times, and it's because I didn't feel a particular um, connection to, you know, the, the, the sort of plight of those characters. The, the, their culture clash and all of that seemed very odd to me. And and certainly I didn't know a lot about Korean culture. You know, we um, one of our writers on the show, Monica Maser, is half Korean and comes from a Korean background. So she was very, very informative about what that marriage would have been like and all that. But I got to tell you, like, I was I was not excited about doing that episode because I just kind of didn't get it, even mm-hmm. though we'd written out already kind of what what the what the thing was. Um, and then, you know, as I got to thinking about it. I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm an immigrant myself. I, I came to the United States from Puerto Rico and Spanish was my first language. And, and 
you know, the thing that really nailed that story down for me in terms of my ability to empathize with it uh, wasn't a cultural thing. It was just the, the, the sheer frustration of, of feeling like you're not understood and a feeling like you don't have a voice. And, and there's a lot of stories from my own childhood after moving to the United States where, you know, my grasp of the English language wasn't uh, particularly great. Um, that you don't necessarily see on screen on Lost, but that certainly made made it possible for me to get into the headset of a character who's from a culture that I didn't have a lot of education and grounding in, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think that then later on, when I when I co-wrote um, in translation with Leonard Dick, there were two things that sort of really informed that. One of them was, um, you know, Leonard and I just, you know, because at that point we were so much into that crime story with Jin. Hmm. Um, Leonard and I really looked at that as as the Godfather, you know. And and that's one of the things about Leonard is that Leonard loves the Godfather. So we sort of broke that story out in terms of the Godfather, and it kind of worked out really well. But then also um, the scene where Jin goes to visit his father um, and the, in the fishing village um, was was a scene that I really really liked. And um, and again, those are, those are that scene is more about you know sort of my own experience as an immigrant having left a culture behind and all of that. You know, mm-hmm. so so definitely. You know, and, and that's sort of what happens in any TV writer's room is that you you create these stories up front and you, you do all of this work on them, um, but they don't necessarily speak to you, you know, th- and they're very well fleshed out and you break the stories out and whatever. But, you know, th- there's times when they don't speak to you until you kind of have a little bit of one on one time with them and figure out what it really is about for you, you know? Yeah. Um, and sometimes you, you, you sort of and other times you just sort of, you know, figure it out and do it. And, you know, maybe you don't have the biggest emotional connection. But I find that the best writing you do is is is, is when you, you figure out some real sort of empathic anchor that 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 puts you there, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, another another piece of that um, that I think about in, in a lot of media that I really love is the struggle of creating it and the struggle of inventing it. So like specifically I'm thinking about, um, uh, a new Ho- star Wars, a new hope, um, which I'm oh, a big fan of, uh, but like yeah. that, that, <laughs> I mean like that movie is just the story of so much adversity and George Lucas having to be so creative and invent himself right. out of, out of so many roadblocks and so many people telling him no and right. so many disasters on the set. Right. Um, do you, was, do you feel like lost had, um, that that kind of adversity in the sense of being a, a network show and, and having the various pressures on the show of, of you know... Oh, the... absolutely, absolutely. And I think that those pressures are part of what makes the show great and then part of what makes the show not so great when it's not so great, you know? Um, we were we were at a weird hinge point in network television. It was 2004. They were, the, the cable uh, model of, of uh, you know, narrative storytelling where you have a 13-episode series, was a serialized series... What's was was out there, but was not necessarily the norm. You know, you didn't have those, you know, Mad Men had not premiered yet. Um, you know, The Sopranos was on um, and it was and it was very successful. But, you know, it, it was it, it, that was on pay TV, you know, and, and we were looking at trying to do a show that was densely serialized, but on network television, which, you know, prefers an anthology kind of thing. You know, there, mm-hmm. there are things that we not lied, but, you know, sort of blatantly, you know, said, yes, we can do this. But internally we were like, ah, we're not sure if we can do that. You know, um, there was a time when the show was going to be more of a case of the week show, like Star Trek, the next generation or something like that, where there was an exotic Island issue every week, you know? And, and the thing about lost is that, you know, I think that it's the, the, the creation of it reads like a little bit more of an epic story because we had to do on the fly, what most show creators do over many months of thinking, maybe before they pitch, or maybe before they, or or maybe while they're writing the pilot and all of that. But you know, Lost was was greenlit so late in the process, 
And that's the reason why I was hired and Paul Dini was hired and Christian Taylor was hired and Jen Johnson was hired was to kind of help Damon and JJ, you know, zen out what the show was going to be. So we had this this extreme amount of of collective brainstorming and all that that happened very much while the pilot was being cast and shot and prepped and all of that. So I think the story, you know, the story takes on takes on this air of, you know, let's put on a show. And, 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 and it seems very sort of epic because because we were doing a lot of things on the fly that people do uh, during during a different conceptual gestational phase, you know. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we we're trying to, you know, and look, I don't think you you, you uh, sit there and you go, we're going to do something different uh, and, and then succeed at it. And there you did something different. There's a lot of things that happened on Lost that were planned. And there's a lot of things that were happy accidents. And I also think that there's a lot of things that happen on our show that happen on every show. But our success makes appear, you know, uh, not bigger, well, bigger than they are in a bigger, you know, a sort of bigger risk, you know. But every show has these these um, fits and starts of conceptual, you know, like, I mean, I, I've been on a lot of first year shows. And you wind up having a lot of the same discussions that seem obvious after you've seen the show, you know. <laughs> but you have to get through all of that throat clearing to do to make a show great, and uh, and we just happen to be doing it at the same time that we're actually making the pilot, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but look, it, that that first year was very dramatic because the show was such a hit. So, and and and, and look, by the time that we went to Comic Con and three thousand people showed up to look at the pilot. And there was fanfic online the next week. It was pretty clear that this show was going to be a big deal, you know. Yeah. Um, I I I, uh, I hear a lot of people claim great surprise at the success of the show, and you kind of go, nah, you know, the networks have a pretty good idea of what's, you know, what's going to happen and how it is and all that. I knew that our fan base was going to be there. Maybe we didn't think it was going to be that kind of Star Wars level hit so quickly, but I mean, you know, there, there was and, and and the network put a lot of promotional force behind it, so. Um, you know, I, I think that one of the things that made the year so dramatic and so interesting was that we were such a big hit out of the gate, and that has its own pressures and and and, and other things. But uh, you know, um, ultimately, ultimately, I think also ultimately one of the things that made the first year work so well is that there was a certain thrill of discovery to it. You know, and you you, you only get one chance at a first season. Yeah, and it just so happened that we were dealing with. With uh, if not the concepts themselves, at least the, the way the concepts were juxtaposed was kind of unique, and that really sort of created a show where where we were able to create that wonderful suspense of what are they going to reveal next, because revelation was so much in the core of the show, you know. And then as you go into seasons two and three, you start seeing kind of a a struggle to try to keep that freshness and to keep that thrill alive, and to find other ways to create the thrills, you know. Yeah, and uh, so you you departed Lost after season two. Yes. Uh, but you've, I mean, you have uh, such a, you have an, a huge resume of of working in uh, television um, before sure. and after Lost. Mm -hmm. What yep. what do you see as the as the impact of Lost on like the TV landscape? Like, how has it has it sort of changed the game, and and what's its legacy today? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think that um, you know a lot of the stuff that we, I think that we were a show that really skillfully put together a lot of things that were already out there in different forms. You know, um, I think look, I think it's really I, I, I don't know. I'm a pretty humble guy, and I don't like the sort of self-aggrandizing of well, we did this before anybody else, we did that before anybody else. You know, but I think the thing we were very good at was you know, The Sopranos had already been on on HBO. You know, and and they had a densely serialized storyline, and there were a lot of other shows that had tried. Profit had tried to do that. A lot of different shows had tried that. We sort of were able to embrace it because of a lot of things that came together, and we were able to marry that to a very strong episodic um, 
thematic, you know, of 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 re- revelation of character, you know, something that is probably more reminiscent of like Six Feet Under, the way that we would have our flashbacks and these very character-heavy stories, you know. Um, I think so. So I honestly think that that one of the things that makes Lost um, a watershed is not necessarily that it was um, completely original, but that it it took everything that was out there and synthesized it in a way that read as unique, you know? Yeah. And I don't mean that to in any way demean the accomplishment of the show. I mean, I'm very proud of what we did and, and I'm very proud of how we did it and the conditions under which we did. But I think that, you know, when you look at it, it really is about a summation of, of, uh, of, of elements that are all in the, everything's in the zeitgeist, you know? And then, and then it's, 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 and, and I think, you know, to go back to Star Wars, you know, one of the things that Star Wars did really well was that, you know, it, it was, it was a, um, it was about the critical mass of, of special effects. You know, if you look at other special effects movies of that time, with the exception of 2001, A Space Odyssey, eight years prior, I mean, the state of the art was terrible, but all of the tools to do effects the way Star Wars did them were there. It's just there wasn't somebody with the vision to put them together, you know? Yeah. There wasn't someone with the vision to, you know, shoot a movie, shoot a Pulp Fiction movie that, that's like, um, you know, if, it, the, the style in which Star Wars was shot is actually a very 1970s kind of style. It's not a classical mise-en-scene style. It's, it's actually very heavily influenced by, by the 70s style, by documentary, by any number of things. Yeah. Um, and, and that came together that way. You know, it's a story that, that has a little bit that, – that takes a Buck Rogers kind of, you know, uh, paradigm and then puts it together with a more 1970s sensibility of, of, of character and all of that. You know, if you look at the people who are giving Lucas notes, you know, they were like – Brian De Palma, <laughs> you know, yeah. Francis Coppola, like it was a real sort of group of, of, of 1970s guys, you know, who were sort of influencing that process and, and who Lucas was ripping off of or not ripping off. I'm sorry, riffing off of. And I think that when you look at Lost, it's like um, it's it's the way that everything came together. The whole is so much greater than the sum of the parts, because if you start taking the parts apart, you can go like, oh, well, that you know, Sopranos was doing that. Galactica did that in their miniseries a little bit, you know, when the miniseries came out before we were in production, you know, mm. or that or the other thing, you know. And I think that we were just we, – we, we just had a unique way of and, – and look, part of what, what makes Lost so great is it's kind of a weirdo gonzo show. I mean, it's like it's a medical show one week. It's a procedural one week. There's always these weird flashbacks. It's got this – sort of six feet under sense of backstory going on all the time. Yeah. There was a time when the flashbacks were going to be, were going to be all mixed up like in Boomtown so that you, you didn't know what part of the story came first and you had to kind of put the flashbacks together at the end. Huh. Um, we, we jettisoned that very quickly. The, the first Kate story, the, the, the dying Marsha tabula rasa was actually broken that way. And then we realized it'd be too confusing. So we were trying a lot of things that were out there, but we, we were able to create this unique synthesis of, of a lot of things that, that were pre-existing, but maybe not necessarily put together that way. And I think that's when you look at things that are supposed to be innovative or watershed things or game changers and all that, you know, it's, it's not usually, Oh my God, we invented the one thing. It's, you know, Steve jobs went to Xerox and saw a mouse and then somewhere else he saw the graphical user interface and all that. And these things it's, it's, it's putting them together, you know? Oh, uh, so I know we've, uh, we've got to let you go, but for people who are uh, fans of Lost and sort of fans of the narrative art of Lost, what are some mm-hmm. other media that you would recommend, something, uh, that re- you know, some, some of the things that really speak to you? Wow. Um, you know, whenever I think of flashbacks and the use of flashback, there's a show that I worked on um, earlier in the aughts called Boomtown. Um, which if you have not seen, I'm, it's something that was created by Graham Yost. I was a, a producer on it. Uh, so I was not in any way the dominant voice. I was just very lucky and proud to be involved with it that I would recommend that any of you uh, have a look at because um, it's definitely it's definitely um, 
something that 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 you should uh, that that you should check out. Um, Damon was was very heavily influenced by Stephen King, especially The Dark Tower and The Stand. I think that in some way to understand Lost, you kind of have to look at those things, you know. Huh. Um, in terms of uh, you know, I think that. Um, but honestly, for me, in terms of sort of how I approach the the, the problem of the flashbacks and all of that, um, for my personal evolution, there, Boomtown is is a huge part of that, you know. Um, I think Twin Peaks was mentioned quite often on, in in our writers' room, although it's not necessarily uh, <laughs> something that I, 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 not that I'm not a fan. I appreciate it as much as anybody, but I certainly was not. You know, it's funny we talked a lot about the X Files and about Twin Peaks. Um, sometimes as models of what to do and how to tell our our story, and sometimes as models of of, of maybe what could go wrong on a show like ours. Yeah, we had the the good fortune of of of, of having several sort of classical mythology shows um, that had come out before us that had you know both done some great things and made some mistakes that really alienated parts of their audience. So those are things that, that, that we talked about a lot in, in that writer's room, you know, um, look, the truth of the matter is, is that, um, you know, there, there were a couple of other things that, that were, were very heavy topics of discussion that perhaps, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say, Oh, you need to see this because it's how we did lost or whatever. I would certainly look at, um, you know, I'll, t- I'll tell you one of the things I found most interesting is, um, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah was being made at the same time as we as we were and i always felt like there was a weird sort of like jazz like riffing like you know we would do a thing and they would do a thing and then we would do a thing and they would do a thing and and i can't imagine we were influencing each other necessarily um i mean maybe we were but i i certainly haven't heard anything about it but but i i found it very interesting that they were hitting on a lot of the same narrative solutions to problems that we did um, in terms of flashbacks and sense of serialization, instead of in terms of um, moving backwards and forwards in time, of telling a long a long story. Um, so honestly, I think that if you're a fan of Lost, one one of the things that you might want to do, if you have uh, most fans of Lost, tend to have hit on Battlestar already <laughs> for, yeah. for any number of reasons. But I honestly think that's an example of a contemporary of ours that was treading on a lot of the same narrative material and solved some of the issues very similarly and some very differently. They're a really interesting show to look at through the, through those through those eyes as well. Um, I would also say that you know if you look at um, you know if you, if you go back and look at Watchmen in terms uh, Watchmen in terms of you know how the the multiple layers of narrative storytelling from um, everything from from how they handled the the Black Freighter story. To um, to kind of how they did some of the meta stuff, which definitely influenced some of our online content and those things. I think I think that's also very interesting to look at through that prism. Uh, Javier, thank you so much for your time, and thank you so much for talking to us about Lost. This is just like the coolest cap on our uh, <laughs> well, on our so podcast. <laughs> Uh, if, no, I can, I, I, if I can, yeah. if I if I can uh, quickly just like plug a couple of your things uh, that I really enjoy. Uh, oh. I definitely recommend to our listeners uh, your book, Shoot This One, which is a collection of essays, uh, some of the ones that we talked about uh, on this uh, interview. Um, and also your podcast with uh, Jose Molina, Children of Tendu, which is just yes. great for people who are interested in um, the, the nitty gritty of, of the business and the creative process. Um, one of the best podcasts I, oh, I have ever you. heard on the topic. And You know what? Jose, Jose is a longtime uh, TV writer, producer. You know, we've both been at it for a long time, I think 40 years collectively. And really, we, you know, and, and, and I think it, it, it's worth mentioning that unlike my book, which you have to pay for, the podcast is free. And it's all about Jose and I wanting to demystify television for people who want to work in TV so that you can come at it with enough tools that it's really you and your talent and not you having to learn the biz from the ground up. So I, I really appreciate your saying that we, we, we really love doing the podcast and we love it because we're trying to sort of teach people how to be better 
so that you know, frankly, when we get in writers' room with people, uh, you know, in writers' rooms with people, they're 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 better prepared. So thank you. Yeah, and it's it's just such a great podcast. I could really listen to you, uh, the two of you guys uh, talk together uh, forever. <laughs> I think. Um, and I'd also uh, really recommend, in terms of uh, also being just a very generous resource, I would also recommend uh, your website, which is okbjgm.weebly.com, um, mm-hmm. which. It, which is one of the coolest things. You've posted some of the scripts you've written, which is just yes, so yes. fun to read through and so helpful to me um, in terms of, of just seeing, uh, you know, I, I've never really seen what a television script looks like uh, outside of this. So, well, you know, cool again, it's, it, and you can actually access it through just okbjgm.com so you don't right. have to do the dot weebly. The lost articles there too. And, and the reason why I put all of that material out there and, and, and give it out to people for free is the same thing. I just, if you want to, it's hard, you know, like I grew up in Puerto Rico. Um, and then I moved to Michigan and then it was, it was a long, it was a long road for me to get to LA and to get into the entertainment business and all that. And, and I wish that there had been more resources out there, more samples, more, um, people to model on, you know, and all that. I mean, my, my education in TV up until the moment when I was, you know, went to grad school for film school was, you know, reading all of those Star Trek books, like, you know, David Gerald's book and, you know, reading Starlog magazine and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I, and they were great. And I just, you know, I just want to, Jose and I, and then I, in my, in my essay writing and, and in putting those scripts out and all that, it's not just scripts. It's also uh, Bibles for TV series, pitches yeah. for TV series that are sold and not sold. So you can see what fails, you know, um, I, I just want, want anybody who wants to do this for a living to know what they're getting into and, and, and have an idea of what the tools and the mechanics of it are so that they can really work with their talent rather than with the learning curve as, as they get closer, you know? Well, it's, uh, it's an incredibly generous uh, resource to put out there. And then uh, finally, can we say the, uh, the piece of news that you told me in our, in our email chain together? Uh, about your, I, I don't know. Your, your, new, but, uh, your new gig? Oh, yes, absolutely you can. Yes, you bet. I'm, I'm co-executive producer of The 100, uh, and, and we're working on the third season of that show right now. Congratulations. I'm going to you, uh, yeah. I'm gonna have to catch up now. It is, you know what, it is a very, it's, it's just a wonderful show. I, I'm so lucky to be hired on it. In its third season, when it's already good <laughs> and successful, um, and uh, our, our our creator Jason Rothenberg, who's the showrunner on the show, has a, a, a just amazing vision for for these characters and all that. And and it's a real pleasure working on a show where your mission is uh, is to not mess it up. You know, <laughs> oh, so I'm very I, uh, proud. I uh, look forward to uh, to catching up on it and can't wait to see your work on it. And thank you again awesome. so much for your time. This was this was uh, very generous and, and nice of you. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for all of your kind words, and uh, we'll talk later. All right. Thank you so much to our guest, Javier Griot, Mark's Watch, for joining us on uh, Rewatch Podcast. It is truly a uh, privilege to have him on the podcast, and all of the things that we talked about in that interview are linked in this week's show notes, which are available at rewatchpodcast.com. Uh, so you may notice we sound a little Thank bit- you to our live audience. Woo! You uh, Woo! We, uh, we sound... <laughs> All right, I feel like uh, I'm being mocked for turning off the recording midway through our uh, live show. But you may notice we uh, we sound a little bit different, and the reason for that is I uh, screwed up the live recording. Uh, but just at the end, when we talked about the episode, so you know the boring part that people don't <laughs> that people don't enjoy about our podcast. Um, the rest of it, where we talked about everything but lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crystal clear. Oh, oh wait, there's a really good reader mail segment. The strongest reader mail segment of Maybe any podcast. Ever. Yeah. Um, so basically, uh, it is now um, uh, a, a few days after our live show, and Patrick and I have marinated, re- re- reconvened uh, in the studio to discuss this final episode of Lost. And 
we're joined by a very special guest making a return, as promised, making a return <laughs> appearance on the podcast. This is all, Yay. it was foretold. This is, is how this had to we go. Did, we said it was going to happen. Yeah. And, and it's happening. And it's uh, Katie Klepek has joined us. Hi. Howdy. Good um, to see you again. Thanks. All right, thanks. This is nice. Let's power through this boring part yep. of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So well, it, it's, it's also point out. It is the Friday before Memorial Day weekend, so like th- there's an anxiousness in the air in addition to us having to re-record. I'm, I didn't – here's the weird thing of like mm-hmm. owning your own company and like not being part of any sort of professional environment. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was a holiday. Like oh, everyone's man. like, are we taking Monday off? And I'm like, why would you take Monday off? Like <laughs> Collectively, are we taking Monday off? Pe- uh... pe- people take days off whenever the hell they want around here. So I, I'm like, yeah, if you want to take Monday off, go for it. Uh, I will not be taking Monday off. Maybe I will, actually. I don't know. You should take Monday off. I can't take uh, time. I never take time off, so I feel like I'm wasting my time. Like, I feel like I could be doing something productive. No, it's good. The, the mind has to waste to appreciate the times it needs to be productive. Oh, look at what that. The, mm-hmm. Where did that come I from? I think you read that off of, like, a bathroom, like, book. You should open write a it down. You should open a fortune cookie over I think there. so. <laughs> it's true. An almanac of That some was sort. very wise, Patrick. Yeah. That was very wise. Thank you. Um... All right. I, am I believe Mr. Friendly said it. Did he really? Yeah. Oh. Nope. Okay. Would have been be good. Be a good tie in. Would be good. All right. Let me go to my notes here. So uh, essentially, we're we're watching the third part of a three part episode, uh, and this is all payoff for the buildup that we've seen before. Um, there's three main storylines in this episode. You've got the group that's bringing the dynamite to the hatch and blowing open the hatch. You've got the group on the raft, and you've got um, the group Charlie and Saeed going after the baby. Uh, and then you've got a couple of last sort of flashback moments. Um, so maybe, do you want to start with the flashback stuff? I think that's what we did on the live podcast. Yeah. So, yeah, the flashbacks are, are, well, there's one all the way at the end, which we can get to, which is sort of like the emotional beat wrapping up the season and sort of uh, communicating a lot of the arcs um, that we've we've had through the last, what, 23, 24 episodes. Um, but the other flashback is largely centered around Hurley and his quest to get to the the airport um, and all of the things that go wrong. Like, you know, he, the show has illustrated that he has bad luck. And then this episode really hammers home that it's not just that what the show has done in the past has been like presented what happens to Hurley as uh, happenstance and that he finds a way to blame that on the money, on the numbers. Uh, and what this episode suggests, I think, is that there is something beyond just his bad luck that he is experiencing. We're not sure. Supernatural. I mean, sh- certainly supernatural. We could, but like there's something above and beyond just bad luck is preventing him from getting to that airplane. Well, but it's not preventing him from. I mean, everything goes wrong, it. but he still yeah. gets on the airplane. So I almost feel like you could you could argue that as like a weird like but then metaphor the, for like fate and. But, like, but it's like you know when he when when um, avenging he, your circumstances. Remember when Hurley goes after Rousseau and he's like blowing through the island. He like charges over the bridge and he's avoiding all the traps. And you're mm-hmm. like, man, this guy's untouchable. Like all this crazy bad stuff is happening, and he emerges confident and unscathed. And he has that confidence of being like, I've been through this. Nothing's going to hurt me. In fact, he like keeps saying that. That's the feeling I get through the airport sequence of like everything goes wrong. And he's just like, I, he's like, I'm, he's like, he's just powering through. He's like, I'll get that flight. Yeah. Well, he, th- he thinks he has to get that flight. Right. Oh, to get his, for his mom's birthday. Right? Yeah. 
It's important. Yeah. You got to be there for your mom's birthday. Well, I think in the end, uh, when it, he gets on a flight and the plane crashes, that's the ultimate, like, ha-ha, you didn't get to your mom. And also, Aww. here comes that bad luck again. Yeah, right, right. The payoff, the bad luck payoff at the end of all of this is going to be tremendous for him. Um, we've also talked about how much we love the music in the sequence. I think you, yeah, were, you bum, were alluding bum, to this. Bum, 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 bum. I don't know, something like that. Yeah. But it's really good. Like I remember confusing it earlier in... The season, like, oh, I can't wait for that music in this early episode. And it's like, I didn't realize it was actually all the way at the finale. But it's, it's just a really, it's it's another side of the law of how good the lost music can be. That it can have that that comedy, that sort of that like flute. Oh, it's that so flute! Good. It's so good. <laughs> it's a good little flute. It's like a little Hawaiian. It's kind of bouncy, it's, it's, jaunty. Mm-mm. <laughs> mm-mm. There's just something so like lilting and and jaunty about it. And then it's just like Hurley like plowing his way through the airport. It's so funny. It's but such I get, a funny it's, thing. it's the music being a character, right? Like yeah. it's it's not yeah. just accentuating the drama. Like it's, I mean, it is, but it would, it, but it's existing on a plane that you know most shows. Most music does not, not manage to, to quite hit. I really want to know what the cheesy name is of that song. Because mm. you know. You know. Uh, Patrick, look Patrick's looking it up. I'll look it up. <laughs> so on Island, Hurley is uh, a member of the uh, Dynamite Squad. Uh, you find out. Well, well first, uh, you have Locke being uh, attacked by the monster. And uh, you see for the first time uh, the, that it's the smoke monster, the CGI smoke that does not. Uh, hold up very well. It does not look <laughs> not, very good. No, you're almost like, oh, don't show it. Go, yeah. go back to not showing it. It was scarier. Yeah. Um, but uh, Locke gets pulled from the hole, and Jack sort of saves him, and you find out that um, he uh, secretly took the dynamite from Kate when he was supposed you know, he drew the, uh, the uh, uh, she drew the short straw. She was supposed to be carrying it. Um, and uh, you get, you get um, probably the most information yet on, that, on the monster. You get to see how it works and what it does. Uh, and that really creepy uh, moment where where Locke is like, "Let me go!" Like it's my destiny to go down there, and then they dynamite it instead. I really enjoyed when Locke had the stare down with the smoke, as well. Oh, in, earlier in the season, yeah, yeah. no, in um, here? in this episode, he like trips and he falls and he looks up and he looks happy at first or like intrigued, and then all of a sudden there's this look of horror on his face. Yeah, he yeah he goes through a lot of emotions. Yeah. He's, he's it's also it's, also it's I've got a plane to catch, which I don't think is a pun unless it's a pun that I'm unaware of. Oh, yeah. Of what? He has a plane. It's litter. No, I know, but most oh. of well, like for example. Oh, he, um, he writes. We're oh no, all, all of his stuff are, are ba- the <laughs> island E Y E. Really bad puns. Um, I love it. Hollywood and vines. Uh, <laughs> crocodile lock, which that's not a pun, but it's pretty good. <laughs> well, locked out. We've talked about. I remember Lay, that locked one. out is a good one. Yeah. Uh, locked out again. Uh, Getting Ethan. Uh, oh, thinking clearly. Oh, <laughs> so good. Um, Booneral. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't think we said these ones because they were spoilers at the last time that I looked these up and got excited. So Booneral. That's that's the greatest. Fuck me. Um, so then you have uh, really the really creepy, intense conversation between a Jack and Locke, where Locke is like, "You're you're man of you know the difference between you and me, Jack. You, I'm a man of you're a man of science. I'm a man of faith." Mm-hmm. And then he uses probably one of the worst argumentative techniques I've ever heard, where he's like, "Every what does he what the, what how does he?" Put he's it? setting he's up like, Locke's little line. What's yeah, Locke's line? He's like he's like. 
he's like, you believe in destiny. You just don't know it yet. Yeah. Which is like, how could that ever persuade anyone? That's the least persuasive argument I've ever but heard. With, but when it's in the middle of the night of the jungle and that mu- sweet music's playing, like, it sounds pretty cool. Well, it's a great, <laughs> I mean, the scene has a lot of, a lot of weight to it. Like, it really is these characters, like, talking about this, these kind of issues in the open for the first time. Yeah, and that's, you know, as, as Katie pointed out, it's exemplified by the sequence with Kate and the smoke monster and Locke and Jack in which Locke is being dragged under and then says, let me go. And then they pull out the dynamite and the, for whatever, I, I, the monster is scared off. I don't know. Like, I'm not sure what this smoke monster is afraid of, but um, the dynamite scares it off, sends it through another hole and, and Locke seems disappointed in some regard. I feel like, you know, he, he must think there isn't some other plane that he would go to or, or some other deeper understanding if he was able to go to, you know, the heart of the island or, or whatever it is that this monster or creature or guardian comes from. He yeah. saw something, he just tried, too. Yeah. I mean, he yeah, saw something for yeah, sure yeah, that yeah, he wanted to check out. Well, he specifically says earlier in the season that uh, I've looked into what the, the, I've the, looked into the, the eye of this island, island and what I saw was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know what that means. Well, he yeah, st- that- it, was, it refers to in, the, in, the, in Walkabout when he stares down the monster. Mm-hmm. And you have that idea of that the monster is like judging him and then it lets him live. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but very... then the second time when he stares down the monster, there is this look of terror in his face. And I think that's what intrigued him enough to want to go down and see. I don't know. Well, this is where, yeah, yeah. Because he's I very. I really want to know what he saw. He's very confident, but obviously, like, when, when a thing's dragging you through the jungle, like, hey! Even my god seems slightly terrifying. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that whole sort of sequence uh, culminates with the moment that you've been waiting for, like, pretty much all season. Uh, they blow the hatch. At the last second, Hurley sees the numbers on the side of the hatch and sort of runs towards them going like, it's bad. The numbers are bad. And to be fair, that it would is creepy. It's very creepy. Sort of a – the dramatic stakes of that scene never click for me. Like I never really buy – maybe it's just because as the viewer, I am so invested in that. I'm like, please uh, blow the uh, hatch Hurley, open. I don't yeah. give a shit what happens to you yeah. right now. Like, right. B- blow yeah. your ass up for all I care. Yeah, like, just like, just get that hatch open. I just want to know – I just have to know what's in that hatch, yeah. So maybe that's what part of the reason why the, the dramatic uh, sort of stakes of that scene always fall flat for me. But, uh, yeah, so uh, Hurley goes running after it, tries to stamp out the fuse. He's unsuccessful. Jack tackles him. The hatch is blown open, and you sort of cut. Uh, and then uh, I think, it, like, as the smoke is clearing, you hear that beep, beep, beep from the raft group. When uh, Before that happens, though, it always makes me laugh because, like, when they're, like, clearing off the hatch, like, I can't help but think... Like when they're they're pretending to like drag that hatch off, and I'm like, that's like a piece of plastic. <laughs> You're just dragging like styrofoam, but they're like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, dragging plastic. It's like an- although actually maybe, well maybe I'm trying to decide which one it is because like in uh, the tested offices uh, back in San Francisco, tested.com is a website that used to be associated with Giant Bomb, and uh, they got spun off when we all got sold a couple of years ago. Um, Lloyd Braun who you know, was the president of ABC and Greenlit lost and then got fired or whatever, like helped found Braun and Braun? I don't know. Braun something. I don't know. They bought Tested. Anyway, in the Tested offices is the, the lid to the hatch. Can we somehow mm-hmm. leverage this to like talk to Lloyd Braun? Uh, I, it was raised with my contacts over at Tested.com and was told... Who did you talk to? Norm? No, I talked to Will Smith. Whoa. Yeah. Will Smith himself? <laughs> yes, the Will Smith. Wow. The That's a big get. Will Smith. Yeah, I don't like to brag about it, though. You know, yeah. I just don't. It seems a little weird. Wow. 
Uh, it, yeah, it was insinuated that uh, maybe, but uh, yeah. can I? This is maybe one nothing day. to do with Lost, mm-hmm. but did you uh, see the the America's Test Kitchen video? I got to tell the no, story. No, I know that you were there though. It's very quick, but uh, so basically, when we were in town for PAX, Will uh, had arranged to go to America's Test Kitchen, which, uh, if you don't know, it's like a, it's a well, it's a it's a uh, my favorite food magazine. It's an amazing food magazine. They also do a podcast, the America's Test Kitchen podcast, that I'm obsessed with. And this is just like a, I just like I. I, I don't I, I don't want to die before I visit America's Test Kitchen, mm-hmm. but it's not really open to the public either. So uh, the minute I heard Will was going, like actually like Joey and I, who's the cameraman for Tested, we were out uh, drinking at like four in the morning before this shoot. And Joey was like, ah, I got to go. And I was like, Joey, where do you have to go? Like, we're, it's already 4 a.m. Like, it's the, the day is gone yeah. tomorrow. Like, just just hang out with us. And he's like, no, we're shooting in America's Test Kitchen at like 8 a.m. tomorrow. So he's like, I got to like try and get some sleep. And I was like, stop everything. I have to come with. So I texted Will. Because I was also had been drinking. I wasn't yep. drinking very clearly. Sure, why not? 4 a.m. And I was like, can I come to America's Test Kitchen? Luckily, he was up with his kid. So he got my text. And he's like, yes, we will. We have a second camera. And we will bring you in as the second camera That's operator. That's really funny. Like, don't mention who you are or anything. Like, that you're, like, doing stuff at PAX. Like, just come with as the camera operator. So that's what we did. But I was such a bad camera operator. If you look at the videos on Tested that were shot, I'm in. I'm either in or frantically running out of half of the shots uh. like it like it literally like if i had tried to uh. get, yeah if i had tried to get in all the shots and ruin joey's shots it would have not been as good as what actually happened you like pulled a real hurley yeah like 20 times in those videos you can just see me like ducking into like a closet or something uh. yeah it's really funny uh so anyway yeah uh beep what are we talking about beep lost beep beep <laughs> Yes, the raft. Let's do the other one first. Okay. So the other story is uh, the Saeed, Charlie. And Charlie, as they're going to save the baby. Yeah. Charlie is a turd, and he uh, walks right into one of Rousseau's traps. Presumably, Rousseau has set this trap specifically for... Charlie. Charlie, yeah. Charlie I, I assume. I, no, let's Charlie just be specific. Uh, Charlie. Charlie. Yeah, Saeed, 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 Saeed would never do that. No, fall for that shit. Yeah. Hell no. no way. No way. Um, but like, I assume Saeed like, saw that and is like, what are you doing? Like, it's just... I, a, I think Saeed just let him walk in because he was yeah, like, no, Saeed was not pissed, going Like, Saeed was insulted that that was a trap. And was like, you know what, Charlie? What is this, like, pile Fuck of rags you. with, like, rocks and <laughs> yeah. a bag hanging over it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of rocks came down. Like, Charlie should have died. Yeah. That, was a, they, that was a death They moment. didn't seem like they were that heavy, though. They were, like, well, I think this, uh, the, rocks. Yeah, well, of course they're... Yeah. <laughs> no, even the stunt people don't hang out underneath a bag of rocks to get hit by them. <laughs> uh... Uh, so yeah, but then that does lead to one of the coolest sequences in the whole season. Yeah, uh, in yeah. which in which uh, Saeed is so confident that Charlie is going to go, you know, wuss out and go home, uh, and instructs him to par- partially because he probably looks at the, you know what maybe Saeed let him get hit by the rocks, knowing that would be an excuse to get rid of Charlie because Charlie is just slowing him. He's down. dead weight. Oh yeah. yeah. And instead, like Charlie kind of proves his worth, kind of mans up and says like, well, "You're a soldier. What would you do if someone was injured?" And so Saeed does not say anything. He just literally pulls out a gun, pulls a bullet out, opens it up, dumps the uh, ammunition on his, uh, the gunpowder on his face, and says, this is probably going to hurt a lot, <laughs> and just lights it. And there was a disturbing amount of the gunpowder, like, on his eye. Like, he couldn't <laughs> yeah. have brushed it away. Like, like, taking two seconds to, like, not do that. Ugh. It, it's really, it's a, very, it's like a really visceral scene, and like they you make just, you watch it, like yeah. for, a ha- like they, they make you watch it for just long enough that when they light it, 
like it was probably the effects budget. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, then we can't do this, which is fine because actually, like the way they shoot it, where you get a moment where you see the gunpowder go, and then it just cuts to a long shot where you just hear ah, like your imagination of what gunpowder igniting on your face is way better than actually. Seeing he's got it. he's got a pretty gnarly like burn on his face. Too, yeah, to make it no, back. it looks yeah. like a badass. Um, so that's oh, and then they uh, so let's see, they find Rousseau. She's got the baby, and uh, at that point, they're like, she's like, the others, I heard them whispering, and they said they were coming for the boy. And Charlie's like, you're a nutter. And as the viewer at this point, you're like, yeah, she's crazy. Like, that, that, is, that sounds insane. She's up to the quotient. Yeah. Um, but uh, that pretty much resolves that uh, plot thread. Well, but the, the, the point there being, though, she constantly talks about... The others and the voices. She heard the voices in the forest or in the jungle that said, "The they're coming uh, for the boy," mm-hmm. and so she thought she could use Aaron as collateral to get back her daughter. You know, you know. I get the lady's been there for what two two decades or something like that. Like, sure, you know, I, that would probably be pissed off if on an island I could not find my kidnapped daughter either. So goes to de- desperate measures, but also Charlie's calling calling her as though she's losing her mind. But Saeed heard the whispers and talked to uh, yeah. Sawyer about the whispers. And so Saeed is kind of like kind of throwing her under the bus a, bit, a little bit here and, and just saying, eh, yeah, you are you're a crazy but, lady. But, you don't, but even as the viewer, though, you know that the whispers are probably a thing because you've seen several characters hear the whispers. We've had, and they've been uh, – what they've done very well is exposed smart, uh, honest characters – to the whispers, right? Yeah. Like it's it's like Saeed's very grounded, right? Like yeah. you expect Saeed to str- when he's struggling with that. It's kind of as the viewer struggling with that. Whereas you know, if they followed Rousseau around and she heard the whispers, like oh, well, maybe that's just her psyche right. or whatever. Um, but uh, you you don't ever hear what the whispers say. So the idea of like Rousseau being like this, I heard the whispers and I heard they're coming from the boy. Even I, as the viewer, I'm still like. Nah, she didn't really hear that. Like, she's still crazy. Like, it, it oh, just yeah. sounds crazy. She's still played yeah. as, as a crazy person, but yeah, you still well, were, you're, you're ambiguous. You're, you're, you're meant to, I think you're meant to like, be questioning her. Mm-hmm. Right. But it just pays off so huge on that boat scene. Yes. Oh, um, my gosh. So the boat scene, it starts off a little bit before the beeping. Uh, you see... Very hopeful. Um, well, I guess... Wait, see, does G- the rudder thing... The rudder thing... Fix the rudder. So the they rudder thing happened rudder. in the episode before. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, okay. and they're just fixing the rudder in this episode. And uh, they they uh, as they they turn on the machine to do their check at night, and um, hold up, hold up, hold yeah, up. you forgot. Come on, what? Don't forget the entire bit from. No, I'm not forgetting. The, I'm okay. Forgetting. Oh, you're gonna go. No, you're going they, hear the chrono- be- they hear the they hear the beeps. Nope. No, the conversation the- with the piece of paper yes. happens before that. Oh, Your the watch? favorite, yeah. yeah. Well, the watch, and then also the the piece of paper with the words that. Jin can say. No, I think that already happened. No. It did, oh, it doesn't? No. So, okay. It's right. the, rudder, the rudder. The rudder. And then the pe- Rudda. Yeah. And then, and then you hear. Yeah. And then you hear. You hear We're not Jin's being favorite word. He show. goes, stop board. Stop board. Stop board. It's, a, it's one of his like 12 words that he's. But. That a son wrote on the paper for him. But I just love how many times in this episode he goes, stop board. Uh, and then, yeah, there's the great moment with the watch where yes. uh, Jin. Or what Michael gives the watch to Jin, being like, "Hey, you know what? This is yours. It meant a lot to you. The water under the bridge." Uh, and um, then Jin gives it back and says, "Like, no." Um, which, as punctuated by the slow motion scene later in the episode, like he at one point cared about this watch so much he had it in his lap. Out. It's a watch. 
that he is delivering to what LA mm-hmm. and he has it outwardly facing because he wants it in, in uh, point of view at all times. Uh, and then he just gives it to Michael, which I think, you know, is it allows that character to sort of like punctuate their arc for the season of accepting that he's changing and giving up his former self and embracing the new gin. Um, yeah. And I, I think uh, we talked about this in the live episode a little bit of like several times throughout the series, uh, this season, it, it's come up like there's been things of value. There's been, you know, Hurley betting people or like money changing hands or whatever. And I always kind of think it reflects poorly on the characters that are still, they're on the island for this long and they're still thinking about money. They're still caring about, you know, the value that just feels like they're just not able to let go of their old life. They're not able to adapt really well to this, to this new situation. Um, And I think it just really is meant to push you over to Jin's point of view and show um, what a, what a nice and smart guy he is and how, how well he actually is able to adapt that in the end, even though this watch is sort of his whole inciting incident to be on the island he's able to give it up and give it to uh, michael and he goes you <laughs> you you starboard you you starboard and i think it's a token of their friendship too yes it yeah. shows it very shows unlikely guys, like, friendship given the beginning of the season right. these guys came to blows you still see in a lot of shots you can see that Jin is still wearing the handcuffs from where michael handcuffed <laughs> right the, um, there's no way to get that other one off right um so, so he has a new wrist and yeah. Outfit yeah. Thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's sort of a metaphor of like that could have been the watch, and it sort of. I think there is something there actually. Yeah. To yeah. That, yeah. Um, so then they uh, and, uh, later that night they hear the beeping. Uh, they turn the, the equipment on. There's some questions as to like maybe it's like you know. I could just a, like they're not sure. Well, there's there's like, questions like we don't know what that is, right? Like it's, or, it's dark. Yeah. It could be uh, driftwood. It could be like a wreckage from the plane that's getting picked up that maybe has a piece of electronics equipment. Michael's in. like, maybe the maybe this thing doesn't even work. And then Sawyer has that great line where he's like, "You ever know Saeed to fix something that that don't work?" And he's right. He's right. He is right. Um, but it's just another nice moment to see how far those characters have come. But the the real question is when they use the flare because the yes. they only get one flare. They get one flare they can use. So. You know, Michael's the one that has it. He is the one that has to make the decision. And, you know, everyone's wavering. And he doesn't want to do it because, understandably so, like, they just left. They have been gone a day, if that. And they're going to use up their one means of, like, actively communicating. But then, you know, Walt, like, really pushes for it, too. And the thing's about to leave the radar. And yeah, they shoot I, it off. This is, like, this is like for me, this is such a – I get so worked up when I watch this. And Michael just goes, like, please, God, and, like, shoots it up. Actually, while we were watching it, I sent you my heartbeat you on my, on my Apple Watch. My heart, every time I see that scene, my heart is racing. I'm yeah. so excited to see that flare go off. Oh, because everything that happens in the next, like, five minutes is, like, for what you don't learn about the hatch, essentially, it, you know, the island is informed. Like, you don't see what's inside the hatch, but then what happens here clearly informs, like, the larger mythology Yes. Of the island in a way that we don't know what's at the bottom of this hatch, but there is shit going on. It's a bit here. of a it's a bit of a fun switch of like you're expecting the story that's going to pay off huge in this episode is the hatch story, and the raft is going to have to be one of those longer stories that goes on and on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's actually the exact opposite of like yeah. the, the hatch gets dragged out, you know, well into next season, but the raft one gets just a huge moment. Uh, it turns out that that's sort of the the major, and they inform each other in a way that mi- maybe is not super clear up front, but that the more you think about it, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, these are probably connected. Right. Um, so then uh, you, you it cuts back to the island. You see them blow up in the hatch, and in, in the smoke of the hatch, you, you hear that great sound editing where the beeping comes back and it just goes yeah. like, beep, 
beep, beep, and you cut back to the Which raft. Which is a, that's sound design informing the plot in a way yeah. that you don't realize at the time, but it's like this hatch connected to what's about to happen that you don't really realize till sort of in retrospect. Yeah, and I also love it's just such a jarring sound to hear on island. Like you've gone the whole season without hearing very much mechanical, you know, electronic. Died noises what's that the discman died the discman died yeah it's just such at this stage in the in the season it's just so jarring to hear that that beeping that mechanical noise uh so then this the great moment with the hatch where the the boat pulls up and they put the bright lights on uh on the uh group and they're all they're all cheering it was such a joyous it's so joyous. Oh, they're time. so excited. Yeah. Like yeah. I, was ex- I was excited. You get like five oh, Maybe it'll go happiness. different this time. <laughs> yeah. And then Jin has that really smart moment where he sort of, before, right as they're pulling up, he sort of like points to his ear and he's like, shh, like shut up. Like, let's see what's going on. You realize, yeah, like, oh yeah, like they might actually be in a considerable amount of danger here. Right. Um, and uh, then you get that character, uh, the, the really friendly guy who the fans uh, take to calling uh, Mr. Friendly. And he's sort of like, hey. yeah, he's sort of like not really listening to them. They're like, How are you guys doing? Yeah. They're like, we were, we were trapped on an island. We were on like Oceanic 815. And he's sort of cutting them off. He's like, that's great. Just great. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. And then that, that. Good thing we came and found you. Yeah. Hmm. And that great line where he's just like, thing is, though, we're going to have to take the boy. And you get that great piano chord of Dung. just like, yeah. Yeah, Dong. and that great, and then the silence of like the raft creaking too, and <laughs> like, was, everyone's just like, "What? Uh, what the <laughs> fuck?" Yeah, like, mm. and then everything just goes nuts. The, yeah, he the, lobs, he lobs the jar of piss onto the, yeah, yeah, his onto the grenade <laughs> gets thrown onto the. To the to I'm the not boat. even sure all that activated. Sawyer, uh, Sawyer goes to take a shot, um, and then he gets shot, and he falls off, and then I don't know if Michael's. Jin, shot. I believe Jin dives in after Sawyer. Right. right. I think Michael just gets like thrown off. Oh, like he, the, sees the, he sees the grenade and he jumps in. He's like, water. I don't want to get hit by that that pee. And yeah. he's like, I, I'm going in the water. <laughs> uh, so he, everyone's in the water. We're not quite sure the status of everyone. We don't know if Sawyer's dead. Um, but clearly they don't have a raft anymore. That has exploded and that is gone. And, you know, the that scene concludes with... The, the one time where I wasn't annoyed that Michael was yelling Walt. Because, like, Walt! He, like, he's, yeah. I mean, he's saying it, like, blood-curdlingly. And yeah. you're just, like, your mind is just, like, racing. Like, wh- why, why would they take the boy? Why do they need yeah, they were, the boy? They were just getting along, you know? Why do they need the boy? Yeah. Super and, creepy. And then that's the boy that so right. Right. referring and to. Then, right, yeah. And then you, that's the thing. And then that, that gives you, that's, like, the chills yes. of, like, you're like, holy shit, they did say in the whispers they were coming for the boy. Like, that's crazy. And now you have a little bit more faith in the whispers from now on, too. Right. Well, it's certainly this episode seems to come down pretty heavily on the side of the mythology of, like, you have all these questions of, like, is there anything supernatural? Or what Are the others, you know, are they savages? Are they advanced? Like, what is going on? And this episode seems to be a couple of, like, points in favor of, like, there is some, like, mystical shit happening on this How island. How do they have a boat yeah where did they get a boat yeah they speak mm-hmm. modern english right like they have all this technology they have guns yeah um, they have pee jars <laughs> yeah well you too can have a pee jar if you believe that's not that advanced yeah yeah um oh. yeah so uh and then um of course uh you, the uh you get the the final sort of montage of the characters boarding the plane, the really beautiful music, um, probably one of the best musical moments of the season. 
And it's just a moment to sort of reflect on how far everyone's come and how far these relationships have come. You see some characters, you know, Jack and Locke exchange sort of meaningful glances as they as they're boarding the plane. You see Kate coming in on handcuffs. You know, all these things that sort of, you know, the marshals alive. They sort of remind you how far we've come this season. And it's a nice moment of payoff for being a careful viewer because you get you get all these very meaningful sort of slow moments. And throughout it, you still have the tension of like, what is in that damn hatch? Like, yeah. show me the hatch, show me the boat, show me something. Other than this, I already know what this stuff is. Um, but it also sort of reminds you of the emotional stakes of those questions. And then, uh, of course, uh, really sort of seamlessly transitions um, um, from the sort of silent montage with the music into sort of a silent shot of uh, Jack and Locke um, moving over to the hatch. I'm trying to pull this hatch off. Come on. It's heavy plastic so prop. heavy. And uh, <laughs> the music sort of turns creepy. And in one sort of fluid motion, the camera kind of like Drops. on a track, it kind of goes into the hatch looking up at uh, Jack and Locke. As they're holding their torches, looking down, and it goes down, 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 down. Like there's way a broken ladder, and it goes yeah. really damn far. Like it's not like there's just a cache. I don't know. There's not just a bunker right down there. Like there's something else. Yeah, and then of course you get you know lost, and you have to wait a whole summer before you can watch yeah. anymore. Ugh. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> Kids today with their Netflix, I don't know how good they have it. And the episodes start on their own. Yeah. Right. Isn't that weird? I was worried about it when we were watching it live. I was like, ah, <laughs> to hit it because if like, the, if we start the first thirty seconds of the second of the fir- the second season's first episode, I'm not going to stop watching. Um, all right, let's quickly do the trivia. And I don't know there really was any. It was not worthwhile trivia, if I remember correctly. And we can do it. Do it real quick. Blow through it. I don't have it in front of me. Oh, you read it off my laptop. I see why he's trying to get out of it. Um, yep. Well, it's not that good. Uh, the story because the yeah, it's always good when you read it, Patrick. Well, it I'll take it. Uh, the story arts tells about the uh, discovery of nitroglycerin is incorrect. The man who discovered it, Escanzio uh, uh, Sobrero, survived his experiments. Uh, the art story arts tells is that the guy died, uh, which I, I think they you know took the uh, creative liberty with it uh, because they wanted to instruct to the to the castaways that hey, this is shit is dangerous. Although we will have a brief bit of spoiler chat after this because I want to talk about that for just a half a second sure. uh, Hurley's message in the bottle apparently says he's leaving 160 million to his mom Purser's reading of it but in the numbers Hurley told Charlie is worth 156 million the sound effects used for the video game Walt was playing are from the Atari 2600 Donkey Kong and Pac-Man games although we still don't know which game it is so we, we think that the game was maybe like fabricated for the show it was Possibly. like matched up of like other game parts maybe that just seems like a lot of effort for like or maybe a, they didn't get the right a seven use. second shot yeah uh, when Hurley is shown racing to the airport on the scooter the backs of the girls soccer team is shown the jersey numbers in order are 4, 8, 15, 16, 20, 42 love it and all through the Hurley sequence the numbers are everywhere it's odometer I think yep. yeah. Yeah. yeah on the like an alarm clock I mean it's it's everywhere uh, on there so okay alright well that brings us uh, to the end of the uh, season finale here uh, next week we are going to be watching uh uh, there really is no next week, and we don't know what we're going to be watching, but we will we will have some episodes coming up in the feed. We're going to take a few weeks break, and then we'll have some episodes sort of catching up on uh, the rest of Lost. We'll do, you know, I don't know if it's going to be one episode per season or maybe one episode per season plus a few episodes for the really notable episodes. Like I think we'll like kind of feel it out once we start watching it and like, oh, like, yeah. there's more here to say than I thought. Yeah. Um, 
So we'll uh, we'll see. I mean, certainly there's some parts of uh, of the subsequent seasons where I, I just there's stretches where I just don't think you could talk about you know a single episode for for very long. Yeah, um, but that you'd think of certain you know without getting spoilers, or just naming episode titles. You know, like um, you know the constant. I would want to talk about that for a whole episode. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, the finale through through the looking glass. Like I would yeah. want to talk about that. Greatest through, hits. You know, greatest hits. Like yeah. there's a, like. The, the latter half of season three has, like, a bunch of really, really uh, strong stuff. But season, yes. season two is kind of a blur for me. Like, the middle of season two, it's I don't... Well-paced. It's like, not well-paced. I remember, well-paced the, I remember the general arcs, but I don't remember uh, a lot about it. So, yeah, we'll play it by ear. We're going to go yeah. through the whole series, but uh, we're not... We just can't... We can't do this for four years. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, I mean, stay, stay posted on the feeds. Uh, you know, stay subscribed, and uh, you will hear some, uh, some, some new stuff coming out in the next few weeks. You can also watch on uh, Twitter. Uh, oh, we're going to pl- we'll play the Lost game. Yes, and we're going to be doing a stream of uh, Lost Viadoma sometime next week. Yeah. So, um, stay posted for that as well. Uh, thank you very much to our sponsors, Cards Against Humanity and Basecamp. Uh, the show notes for this episode, including all the links to the stuff we talked about, are available at rewatchpodcast.com. As always, you can email us your comments and questions at rewatchpodcast at gmail.com or get us on Twitter at rewatchpodcast. Uh, thank you to our editor, Kara, for doing an amazing job uh, with this season. It's really the only reason we've been able to uh, keep uh, up with this. Um, thank you to Steve, Fabwash Kim, for our artwork. Thanks to Dose One for our theme music. You can check out his work, including his ringtone of the month at dose1.bandcamp.com. And thank you, Patrick. I really, uh, I, I really enjoy uh, just having an hour to talk to you every week. And this is a really, really fun project. And uh, I hope so, as we will do it less frequently. You. <laughs> you. Still funny the second it's still time. Still funny. Did it at the live I show. About it, yeah. Still funny the second time. Stop, board. Uh, well, we will, uh, we will see you guys uh, soon. Oh, thanks, Katie. On the. Uh, thanks, Katie. You're welcome. Oh, thank you to Katie, to our guest, Katie Kloppen. I'm sorry. I got so excited to thank Patrick. That's fine. Uh, and then we'll, we'll do like just like two seconds of spoiler chat. I just, there's just like one point I want to make. All right, so spoiler chat after the music. I have one spoiler check question mm-hmm. as well. Why is the, so Locke is one of the candidates, right? Yes. So why is the monster killing him or can he hurt him? Or? The monster is not necessarily killing him. The monster is not allowed to. The monster, well, uh, the man in black, yes. if we're getting more specific. Mm-hmm. He, the rules are that between him and Jacob are that he can interfere and influence but cannot actively kill the candidates. He can kill other people, right? which is why he but, kills, but why how, he kills Rousseau's group right um but but why can he drag Locke down the hole wouldn't that hurt or kill him not necessarily well so the counter the it's not that it's not only that uh the smoke monster or the man in black cannot kill it's that the candidates are unable to be killed like so oh, so it. if you remember like there's the whole sequence uh in season five four the one where Locke dies mm-hmm. but Locke doesn't die benjamin linus kills him mm-hmm. and so one of the weird things about rewatching the series is that it's cool to like look and like know what parts of these are sort of like fate and what are influenced by the larger metagame if you buy into the whole the whole thing. But also it robs a ton of the tension from the show is like they can't die because they literally cannot die. Mm. Like they're candidates, like they can't die. Like that's the rules of the game is that unless like Kate could kill Jack, but Jack cannot die by falling off a cliff. 
Like, he will be saved by something. It's the same reason that when Hurley runs across the bridge, he cannot die because he's a candidate. Uh, Locke cannot die getting grabbed down the hole because he's a candidate. The dynamite means nothing because they're all candidates. So like, it's a weird part about watching the series again, giving this, the rules they re- they retconned. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I mean, it is a retcon, but it was a retcon I was okay with. Like, I was satisfied with the way they, they played that stuff out. But it does rob some of the early parts of the series of its tension because you, if you believe in the whole rule set, they just can't die. There is no tension because they, the rules are set up against it. But, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so it's still fun to watch, but it's like the, when they're like, be a real careful with the dynamite. It's like, well. Well, they could still kill themselves with the dynamite now. No, they can't no, die. They can't, they can't die. They can kill on each the other? Island? No, on the island or off the island. It's a whole, well, the whole thing with Locke. Like, Locke had to be murdered. You have to be killed by another. Like, f- by another a, can a candidate or? kill another candidate? I would assume so, yeah. But remember, like, Locke mm. tries to shoot himself with a gun, and the gun refuses to fire. Oh, I don't the, remember that. And okay. then the yes. only way that he dies is when Benjamin Linus uh, hangs him. Hangs him. Mm. Right. Um, I might be missing some of the nuance of the rules, but the general okay. setup is that they cannot die. Um, so that's why the dynamite doesn't go off. That right. does make a lot of sense, actually. Yes. Yeah. Uh, like, okay. the dynamite should have gone off. Right. But every single person handling the dynamite, except for, like, if anything, like, if you take the retcon all the way through, like, it... That dynamite should not have been touched by anyone because the way Arts uh, dies so quickly, that should have happened to everyone. Right. But they're candidates, so it doesn't do anything. Also, they were, just... like, walking through the jungle with this dynamite. Well, yeah, there, there was, they were, like, running to, yeah. like, yeah. There was yeah. A, one of the, like, I always struggle between when I do the trivia, like, continuity errors and trivia. Mm-hmm. And one of the continuity errors is, like, Kate sure is running around with that backpack. Right. <laughs> right. But if you buy into the... I, I thought it was just that Arts got the one with all the white gunk on it, the nitroglycerin on the that's, outside. I think that's true of the show as it existed at that point. Mm-hmm. And then when you think of how they f- tried to fit in their end game... That makes sense. It, it still fits. Like, both those... Those are not mutually exclusive. Both of mm-hmm. those can be true. It's just... It's still a fun scene to watch, but it's sort of like, okay, well, I buy into the ending, which means this is... Slightly less exciting as a result. So anyway, I think about that a lot when I've watched those scenes. Um, they're still fun to watch, but it's a little bit. What was yours? Did you have a spoiler trailer? No, that's it. That was it. My oh, tied okay. into into yours. So. Cool. So that's it. Cool. Well, our final spoiler chat. Until the next one. Until the next one. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Katie. You. <laughs>